become a patron of Entertainment Landfill. Go to patreon.com slash landfill for details. Entertainment Landfill is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. Television, pop culture. It's where you find it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is Entertainment Landfill Daily, and I'm your host, the Jstrom. And I'm here with Stephen the Pop Culture Zealot. Hey, Hello, Stephen. How's it going? Fantastic. We're here to talk about uh, film, television, pop culture, culture, or oh. whatever. I've had a rough week, man. I got sick out of nowhere. I woke up and I had a fever. I mean, I felt like shit. I didn't want to get out of bed. And if you know me, like I get up in the morning and I take a shower, get dressed. I'm fully ready to go. I woke up. And I looked at the clock. It was like 1030. He was like, huh? I was like, what the hell happened? And just like, I feel like shit. And I took my temperature and I had a 101 temperature. And I was nice. like, damn. I was like, I don't know if I got a virus or whatever. Heather was like, was it something you ate? And I was like, I don't know. Does food give you a fever? I don't know. Yeah, you can. Yeah, a little slight food but poisoning. I've had a slight stomach thing where every once in a while my stomach will tighten in pain and then release for a while. Maybe you have mild food poisoning. Yeah. we. It was Olive Garden is the only thing I could think that we ate. And I've felt like shit ever since. <laughs> and I even had that no appetite thing where I'm starving, but yeah. food just, no, no, no. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want anything to do with food. I think that's, that might be food poisoning. Sounds yeah. Like it could be. Is it like your body just doesn't want food because it's been poisoned? Like uh, some kind of thing? You're just a, you're, I don't know if it's your, just a body's reaction. Thing. If you put it in me, it's coming back out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also have been having cold sweats. Like, uh, uh, the other night, two nights ago, I was freezing, like I was sh- shivering and I had a blanket on me. Then in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was just drenched in sweat. I was so hot. I took all the blankets off. I'm like, oh my God, it's so hot. And of course it's like 70 degrees in the house. So from the air conditioner, it, it's not warm at all. So, but then the next day I got a fever again. So it's kind of been back and forth, but today I felt relatively okay. Uh, Emma needed to get her regular checkup at the doctor. She got four shots. Nice. Poor thing. Like Ouch. two in each arm. <laughs> she was just like, my arms hurt so bad. And I was like, no, I can imagine. Um, and so she's been sleeping in the other room. And I haven't been. Able, I haven't felt like doing anything. So I've been watching Treehouse Master like <laughs> all day long. Have you ever watched that show? Yeah. Uh-huh. The guy is a total nut. Yeah. Goofball, but he is in love with treehouses. <laughs> yes, but the treehouses are awesome. There was one where he built like a recording studio, like for musicians, like up in the trees, and I thought it was awesome. And uh, so I was sitting there watching that forever, and I was like. And you texted me, are we doing a show? And I was like, 
Yeah, I might as well do a show <laughs> because I didn't even get to do record a Chuck show this week because usually I do that either on Wednesday or Thursday, but I just didn't feel up to it. I've just uh, I just have no energy at all. But I was like, I can sit and talk with Steven. And it's funny, like my dad called and he was talking to me and I was like, he's going to take up all my talking energy that I'm <laughs> saving for the show. And I don't know how the subject got onto it, but he was talking about uh, drinking and getting drunk or whatever. And he goes, I, this is funny. I want to tell you this story. He was telling me, I remember the first time you ever got drunk. And I was like, Oh yeah. Cause of course I can remember that. And he goes, you came home and you were so drunk that you passed out and cracked your head on the counter in the, in the bathroom. And there was blood everywhere. Which is an incredible story, Stephen. But as it I was listening happen. to it, I was like, um, that never happened, Dad. He goes, sure it did. I'm like, Dad, this is frightening. This never happened, this story you're telling. And he was like, no, 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 I'm pretty sure it did. And I go, Dad, have you been telling people this story for years about the first time Jason got drunk? And this is what it was? Because <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> this is a completely made up story. But then I remembered... Back in, like, 10th grade, it wasn't even at the same house we lived in, I was so sick, I don't I had the flu or something, and I went to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and I was lightheaded, and I passed out, and I hit my head on the counter, and <laughs> I, my nose uh, was gushing blood. And I, he remembered that, but he combined it with getting drunk. Right. So now he made it into this more incredible story where I... Um, cracked my head. I was so drunk. You know, I passed down the bathroom. It's like, that never happened, Dad. What's funny about the first time I ever got drunk is um, I was 19 years old. And uh, when we, Vanessa was with me. And when we walked in the front door, you know, I was like, nobody say anything. I was with Ray and Vanessa. And Vanessa said, Dad, wake up. Jason's drunk. <laughs> and I just remember saying, you bitch <laughs> you know just like ratted me out like as quick as she could i go dad that was the extent of my drunk story because then i went to bed and woke up the next day with a hangover there was no gushing blood or anything it was like oh i remember that differently and i was like yeah that's frightening because now i don't know if you're at the age where you're just uh morphing epi yeah. different things together mm -hmm. into these tall tales of or something I remember when Jason first learned to fly, you know, that's, <laughs> when he sprouted his first wings, I was so proud, but that's never happened to me <laughs> that, that time that I was so sick, I was, I was passing out. It happened to me twice the night before I went, I was so thirsty. I was parched. I was dehydrated. I got up in the middle of the night and I stuck my hand in the ca kitchen cabinet and I passed out and I pulled a bunch of glasses down with me and, um, I had to crawl back to my room, and the next day, my stepmom was like, what happened to the kitchen? There's broken glasses everywhere. And I was like, I think I did that. I, I passed out. And the next night, when I passed out again and hit my nose on the thing and there was blood, my dad was like, what kind of drugs have you been taking? And I was like, I haven't been taking any drugs, which, which is funny to ask someone like me because I was not into drugs or anything like that. 
but it's frustrating when I guess in your parents they they're it's like, can I believe him? Is he on drugs? I was like, no, I'm really effing sick. And if you were a smart, you would take me to the doctor or something. But I remember he scared me because I had a big my nose was all swollen up on the side where I had a gash in it, and I said. Shouldn't you take me to the doctor? Because what if this is broken? And he goes, do you really want to go? Because if it is broken, he's going to break it again to reset it. And he, like, scared me. I was like, okay, I don't. But it's like, why? He just he didn't want to take me to the doctor. <laughs> what? Kind of, what? But that's funny. But, yeah, he's senile. That's the the point of this story. What's funny is uh, I've watched a few documentaries this week, Stephen. Uh, I'll get to the two really cool ones, but the the one I watched yesterday was on Netflix. It's called Tiny, and Tiny living in a tiny house or some shit like that. I can't remember what it's called, but if you search Tiny on Netflix, it's this guy in his twenties who's like, I've always wanted to live in a tiny house. So I decided to build one and it's like his girlfriend started filming him building it and he knows nothing about construction. He's getting all this information. It's funny. He'll sit there on a smartphone and he's watching YouTube on how to wire, you know, you know, wire electricity and uh, build siding and stuff. He's like watching it and that's how he gets all of his instructions. And then also They'll like interview people who live in tiny houses, and you know it's like this whole thing now. Yeah, there's Everybody, a whole big community of it. Yeah, everything. Everybody's talking about a tiny house. Some of the people seem a little odd, you know. Of course, you know, like there's this one lady who I guarantee you she has horrible bo probably, and her hair's all messed up, and she lives in like 128 square feet. With no plumbing, so you're just like, yikes, who's this? She got one of those compost compost uh, toilets. Yeah, compost toilets, yeah. But there's another couple where they just, they don't need a lot of space. They've got power, you know, they've got electricity, they've got plumbing, they've got a working bathroom and shower, and they have a television, which, you know, a lot of these people, they live on the land, they don't need TV because that's, you know, will warp your brain or whatever. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, I can relate to these people. They can live in a small house and they have everything they need, right? Right. Uh, And usually they have like a little dog living with them too. You know, they don't have children, they have a dog or something. Um, But this guy, he's like, you know, uh, he bought this plot of land in Colorado, which is naturally, it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole time his girlfriend isn't sure she's going to live with him, but she's sure she's going to visit from time to time. <laughs> uh, but uh, at the very end, you know, he brings his parents to see the tiny house and his dad is like, you know, knocking on wood. He's like, yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty sturdy craftsmanship there. Yeah. You built this and you know, you can tell they're like, he's going to live in this thing because <laughs> it's so tiny. And they even show off their compost toilet. And the one thing that they don't have, you know, he, he has solar panels. So he goes, I can get power wherever I go now, but they don't have any plumbing. There's no water, which I think is a big mistake. Yeah. You know, you gotta have a water supply, right? Um, I, th- I think the idea of living in a tiny house with, okay, first of all, we have a, a daughter who's going to be a teenager soon. She doesn't need to be, be living in a tiny house. Do yeah. you think she needs as much space as she can get? So this is or like privacy, not really privacy. much space, but 
her own privacy. She would, there would need to be two tiny houses with hers, like yeah. <laughs> behind ours or something. But like if Heather and I were like retired or something, you know, or if I was single in uh or something i was like maybe if i'm suffering from depression i'd want to do this <laughs> and i was i was trying to come kind of get that ted uh kaczynski unibomb yeah, feel i was telling heather i could live in a tiny house say after you die i'm a widower and don't plan on marrying again I, or something you know i was a sniper in afghanistan that's <laughs> killed too many people then i'm living in a tiny house in the middle of nowhere then i can see it but right now, hell no, I don't want to live in a tiny house. I need my space. But you, you know? might have uh, video PTSD from playing too many video games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there I was type too many video game characters. The uh, <laughs> Treehouse Master on one of the episodes I watched that I uh, watched today, he this woman was a writer, and she wanted him to build her a treehouse where she could go up and write. Mm-hmm. And he had solar panels. He goes, so you can power your laptop and lights. And you can write in the middle of the night and stuff. She was like, oh, that's great. And he built a little loft where she could nap. And he made her a porch with a chair where she could sit and watch the view. And I was like, dude, that would be awesome. Like a writing uh, room. Just you know? a little nook, dude. Yeah, where you could sit and just write all day. And he, and he was like, you got no excuses now. You got a place to write or whatever. Because, you know, he's a real goofball. But yeah. uh I could totally, I want a writing place like that, you know? Yeah, I, I saw him build one down in Austin um, where it was, uh, the, they did like a and b type place, uh-huh. but they made their guest room in a tree. It had nice. a Japanese style sauna or whatever you want to call it. It was real narrow and you set it in the waters up to your chest and it was cool. set out on the porch. That sounds nice. I mean, it was pretty neat. Yeah, the bed was one of those, you know, fold-away beds, so mm-hmm. it opened a, up and it was he's real a, big. a very clever guy. Yeah. And I even like every episode, somebody calls and they say, hey, can you come repair this or something? And it's really cool to see how he repairs some things. Like I like one was like woodpecker had been getting to. <laughs> did you see that one? And he, no, I seen him repa- replace a, uh, like... The the staircase going up to it was kind yeah. of started getting. It was up in New York, I think, in somebody's backyard. It started backyard. getting loose or something. Yeah, and he was fix. He fixed it. You well, know, I, so. I just think it's we got to make the wood match and all this. <laughs> yeah, he's insane. He's, yeah, he can tell any tree just <laughs> Not, by looking in a, at in a good way. Insane, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's really crazy about trees. Yes, it's funny because I asked Emma, and this is so funny because I said, "Hey, have you ever watched this Tree House Master show?" She goes. Ah, uh, yeah, the guy's too weird. <laughs> she loves, she'll watch Turtle Man, that guy, and uh, she loves that show, but she can't watch the Treehouse Master because he's too weird. I was like, okay. The Turtle Man's a little weird. <laughs> he's like, that guy doesn't have any He's teeth. just enthusiastic about Treehouse. And I was like, why doesn't he use some of the money from these jobs he does and get some they teeth? They don't give him money. <laughs> yeah, is it all free? No, they'll trade him chickens. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. And Emma said that he would lose some of his character like without teeth and i was like yeah i guess he would you know if he had just a nice set of choppers it wouldn't be the same would it but i love that be like yeah i got snapped just like a snapping turtle (laughs) (laughs) with his teeth (laughs) so this other documentary i watched um let me figure out which one i want to talk about first um okay I don't. You might have seen people post about this on Facebook. It's 
uh, about Richard Stanley and him. It's about the Island of Dr. Moreau movie. Remember with Marlon Brando yeah, yeah. and how Richard Stanley, uh, he wanted to make this film. He had a script and everything. He'd made the movie Hardware. Remember about the killer robot that's mm-hmm. in the future? Which I thought was a great movie. I saw that in the theater when it came out. I saw it at the Hewlin 10. Um, he's a strange cat. He made this movie called Dust Devil with uh, Robert John Burke. And I remember that wasn't as good as hardware, but <laughs> it was amusing. I mean, it, it was... it was Watchable. It's watchable. It's very strange. Uh, I don't even think I understood the movie, but uh, I just remember there's this part where... It's it is spoiling things, but um, Robert John Burke plays this dust devil killer, like the serial killer who travels in the I'm going to say in the Aborigine areas of Australia or something. Okay, uh, this is all going on memory. It could be wrong, but uh, he sleeps with these women and then he kills them. But the one woman, Chelsea something, she was the wife in The Last Boy Scout. Uh, I can't remember her name. I should look on uh, IMDb because I sound like an idiot. But anyway, at the very end of the movie, he she blows his head off with a shotgun, and uh, <laughs> figures out he's batshit crazy. Yeah, but I'll always remember when he gets shot. Uh, at the end, he doesn't have a head, right? Yeah. But his torso, his hands go up to feel that there's no head there. <laughs> and I thought that was the funniest shit I'd ever seen. Oh, Chelsea Field. Uh, you remember this actress? She was in, like, uh, Last Boy Scout. Is the oh. one thing I can remember her from. But she's married to Scott Bakula now. Um, but, yeah, in Dust Devil, it, it's not a great movie. But it looks, visually, it looks gorgeous. Uh Richard Stanley's really into the the walking dude imagery, like Randall Flagg. Like, mm-hmm. if you watch Hardware, the beginning of it is a man in a hat walking through the desert, like in the dunes. You know, it's a silhouette against the desert. And then Dust Devil's the same thing. It's a guy in a trench coat with a black <laughs> hat, and he's walking through the desert. And so he's really into that imagery of so that's the, his dark man. Yeah, he's really into that uh, the walking dude, and so and I even remember in an interview with him where he kept talking about the walking dude, and I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And then you know he was talking about Randall Flag and the stand, and he loves that imagery of a lone man walking in the desert. Uh, so he had this idea to make um, the island of Doctor Moreau. And what's cool about this um, this documentary is it shows how everything, once the studio got involved, everything kind of snowballed where he had only made these small movies before. But all of a sudden, uh, one guy's like, we could get Marlon Brando in this. And then the budget got bigger. Yeah. And then, you know, James Woods was going to be involved. And then, no, wait, uh, Val Kilmer is interested in being in it. And then the the budget got even bigger. He was just in Batman Forever. And so now they're worried, like, maybe Richard Stanley, he can't do this. You know, it's a little too big a budget. But they they stuck by him for a while. And the one thing the documentary shows you is Val Kilmer is a real prick. Yeah. In this. He decided he didn't want to be in the 
the part that he was anymore because it, he would be filming too long. He'd rather have James Woods's part because that was a shorter amount of time. So he took James Woods's part. So James Woods wasn't on the movie anymore. So they had to recast his Val Kilmer's part that he, cause he changed <laughs> and it was just ridiculous. And then, uh, Marlon Brando's daughter committed suicide. So he wasn't available for a long time. And they're like, Okay, well, uh, we'll just film around him. <laughs> it was just—it's all this crazy stuff. Um, yeah, I think I was reading about it. Uh, I read about it this week. That's strange. You talk about it because yeah, it's called Lost Soul: The Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Doctor Moreau, and uh, it's very entertaining. Uh, Richard Stanley—I mean, don't get me wrong—the dude's a nut too, but. <laughs> It's sad to see that his vision and everything that he was really into. A lot of people, Feruza Bach, she signed on to the film because of his vision, and she hated the way he got screwed over. You know, a lot of people did. They loved the guy. He, I, it was obvious he was in over his head, and he wasn't sure how to deal with it. And um, it's kind of one of those kind of things. Like someone even says, in some alternate universe, the movie actually got made, and I would love to see it. You know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend that. And, um, holy shit. Don't blink on me, Jason. What was the other documentary I saw, Steven? I don't know. This is the other documentary I saw. I watched, I watched three this week. Oh, well. Tiny house. Tiny house. Yeah. Tiny house. Um, <laughs> shit. What was the other documentary I watched? What was it about? Uh -oh. Oh, 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 I remember what it is now. Okay, it was uh, it was about James Randi. Uh, oh. Do you know who that is? Mm -hmm. The Amazing yeah, Randi? The Amazing Randi. James Randi is a magician and escape artist. And uh, let me... Uh, and he has the million dollar checked for if anybody can prove that they're psychic. Yes. He, He's uh, the, a debunker. The documentary is called <laughs> An Honest Liar. Because he says a, a magician is an honest liar. Right. He's basically saying, I'm going to fool you and I'm being upfront with you about yeah. it. And that's the amazing thing about, uh, magic is that you're like, wow. And you don't know how they did it, but you know, he's not really making something disappear. Right, he's, right. uh, he's tricking you. Misdirection. But what James Randi never liked was people who say, they don't say they're a magician. They say, I'm psychic or I have powers. Yeah. So he dedicated his life to debunking these people, these charlatans that would cheat people out of money. Yeah, because I think he was an editor or something on the Skeptics magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah, for a long time. Yeah. He even said when he first started out, he you know, basically it's what a mentalist is where mm -hmm. they – and. You could easily fool someone into thinking cold reading. Yeah, they're reading what you're about, where yeah. you're from, and stuff. And they're like, "Wow, you're amazing! You're psychic." And uh, when he first started out, and he was very young, he would say, "Yeah, I am psychic. I have abilities." And people would come up, and they'd be very like, "I'll pay you. I don't care what <laughs> it is." But my mom, <laughs> when she died, she wanted to tell me this thing, and she. Never was able to tell me, can you please? And he realized, oh, I can't do this. This is wrong. But he realized so many people do take advantage of these people. And they're like, okay, tell me all about it. So the whole documentary, uh, uh, you know, a lot of it is about how he would um, 
basically prove these people to be frauds. And one of my favorites was this uh, evangelist who, you know, he'd go, is Larry Johnson in the audience? And he'd go, I'm right here, sir. And he goes, do you have blood clots? And he's like, yes, I do. And he goes, be healed and all that. And he was like, how does this guy know what these people, who these people are and their ailments? So he had his guy, his friend go in there and he had like a, a radio receiver and he was going on all the different frequencies till finally he caught this woman going, okay, Betty, Betty Johnson, she's in row three. She has bad heart problems. And he said, Betty Johnson in the audience. Yes, I'm right here. And he's like, aha. So he recorded all the audio of that incident because this guy was making hand over fist. And he said the thing that really upset James Randi is that he would tell people, do you have your medication here with you? All you people, throw it out. You don't need it anymore. Throw that heart medication. And people were like throwing their pills on the ground. And he's like, thank God this is horrifying. They're throwing their medicine away because they think this asshole can heal them. You know? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, uh, don't forget to contribute some funds. And they pass the bucket around. People put money in. He's just disgusted. So he went on Johnny Carson. And they had footage of him on The Tonight Show where he goes, I want to talk about this evangelist guy. And he said his name and everything. And he played the clip. And he goes, and here's what we caught of his wife feeding him the information. And he played a clip and it was aired on the tonight show back then and which was you know a lot of people saw it across the country and he said shortly after that the guy filed for bankruptcy the, <laughs> and then of course they said and later on changed his name gone into hiding <laughs> well later on the guy figured out he didn't even need that dog and pony show he just he didn't have to have the the theatricality of it he could just say it you know like yeah. You know, I'm healing everyone in the room, and yeah. people still give them money, well, which is sad. It's done on, you know, even on TV nowadays with the 700 Club, the guy, put your hand on Yeah, yeah. And I think they even had some kind of water bottle. It's like holy water. Like, this is this is straight from... This $20. Is the same, this is the same water that Jesus Christ himself drank out of the well. And people are like, oh, man, I got to buy that shit. You know? uh, but it's so funny. And my the most interesting thing about uh, James Randi is that when he'd go on these shows, like, you know, a number of different shows, like, I don't know, Jerry Springer or Oprah even... And people in the audience who are believers in psychic phenomenon or whatever, mm -hmm. they'd get so mad at him. You don't believe, you know, as long as you don't believe, you won't know that psych, you know, people can have psychic powers. It's because you're a skeptic and you're, you're basically, you're, you're keeping the powers away from you. You're repel repelling them or whatever. He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I, even one lady said, you have, I, the reason you're so, you know, you're so skeptic at this, that cause you have psychic ability. You don't realize is that's what you, this, you figuring this stuff out. It's your psychic ability. He's like, no, it's really not. <laughs> it's like, it's so funny because people want to believe so badly. They get yeah. mad when you show them, no, this is bullshit. This is a parlor trick. And they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Stop telling me that. Nah. And start hitting themselves. <laughs> but it, it's very interesting. And a lot of it uh, is basically. Yeah, I've watched shows on Ama the Amazing Granny before. It's very interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, and it gets into I've his, liked him. his personal life too. In his eighties, he finally came out. He said he didn't want to give anyone any ammunition to use against him. But then he was like, "Why? Why do I care? Why do I care?" <laughs> yeah, 
But it's not. It's good that he finally he's can be honest or whatever. But it's very. It's a very good documentary. I like that. It's good when you get in a documentary mood and you just watch documentaries, um, and stuff like that. But I also recommend the Treehouse Massacre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've watched several episodes of that. You know, it's like it was a marathon days like i'd watch i'd have it on in the background be doing things cleaning yeah. house and come and watch a little bit and a little bit of trans yeah, yeah it's pretty cool it's, he makes it like, so- <laughs> i gotta kind of you know the first 30 minutes you kind of don't really pay attention because mm-hmm. he's going out is this tree good enough and he'll climb it and yeah i was making heather watch some of it and i was like i know he's a goober okay i know but just come on the tree house is so cool when he's done because he's just really excited, and, you know. He's yeah, just like, he uh, and it's it's really good. That, I mean, somebody's excited about something. Well, you know? when I watch it, I'm like, damn, I wish I knew how to build shit like that, like woodwork. Was there and something stuff. that you could be that excited about every yeah. day? Well, can you imagine just I mean, building going, something from scratch like that? And, just saying, you know, okay, that's what he loves, and he gets paid to do it. Mm-hmm. So this, you love yeah, doing this. It usually Would starts love with to, his. His you know, daughter going, Dad, Dad, there's a guy on the phone. He has a $90,000 budget, and he wants a treehouse. He's like, whoa. He's like, whoa, I got to check this out. You know, <laughs> and he goes on, and he's – and they always do a part where he's walking on the land looking for a tree, and then they'll go, and he goes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's speaking to me. And there is one where he built a uh, Japanese tea house up in the trees on these yeah. people's property. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, my brother had said something to me about it. About since I have that my lake lots, you know, I got a big giant tree. <laughs> you ought to have him go. I was like, dude, I'm not going to go spend sixty grand. Come you know? on, I I agree with your brother. That would be awesome. <laughs> and please let me be on the show. I want to be standing there going, whoa, <laughs> that would be awesome. All right, what do you want? Uh, I don't know. I just build some cool shit. It's like uh, my budget is $150,000, and I want a jacuzzi. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to have a home theater in the trees or something, you know. I need an art studio and a nice home theater. Yeah, that's another thing that makes me sick is a lot of the people on there, you can tell they have too much money. There's this one couple. They lived on some Orca's Island, and it's gorgeous, and their house is huge. And they're like, yeah, we've always wanted a house up in the trees where our family could stay. $200,000 our budget. Their budget was like $120,000. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, (laughs) for a tree house. That's more than my house. It's like the thing better have plumbing <laughs> for that much, you know. It's like I want a working toilet for this much money. I don't care if it goes right into the ocean. <laughs> I just want a working. <laughs> That'd be so funny. Yeah, you got a pipe go straight into the ocean. You're good. All good set up. It's like, hey, it's fine with me. <laughs> you know, we did something fun. Was that two weeks ago where we went to Austin? Mm-hmm. Um, I've driven through Austin many times that I never actually stopped. And Heather said, yeah, we did. We got gas that one time. It's like, that doesn't count. Stop any <laughs> gas. But uh, I was so bummed out that Ernie Klein came through town in Richardson. And I wasn't able to go because it was a event where he had to have a ticket, apparently. He did like a Q&A in a movie theater. 
and you would you could go online and get a the Alamo Drafthouse. Yeah, the Alamo Drafthouse. Get a voucher to go. And so I was like, oh, I don't see anywhere to get a voucher. I'm going to call. And the lady's like, sir, that's been sold out for two weeks. I'm like, what? There's only announced today. What kind of bullshit is this? You know? <laughs> so I was really bummed out. And I was like, well, I missed my chance to get Armana sign. And then I looked. His very last stop on the tour was Austin at this uh, comic book shop. And I you know, went on Google Maps and I was like, Dude, it's only three hours away, and it's right off the freeway. Because literally, you just get off the freeway and you go right there. And I was like, I'm gonna. Well, see I'd you. seen it like a week before, and I thought about asking you. It's like I don't know. If, you know. <laughs> well, it's funny is Heather loves that show called The Day Tripper. Where yeah. The guy goes on a day trip every week somewhere in Texas, and I go, Wouldn't you want to go on a day trip to Austin? <laughs> and we did, and I asked you, and we went. And we got to uh, see Ernie Klein or meet Ernie Klein, and that was pretty cool. And, you know, I made a joke the whole time that I didn't know what to say to him. Yeah. It was funny because he said to you, what is it, like, Checker Wars. Yeah. He did that to me at the at the convention, too, and I think I did the same response. I was like, what? Uh, wars. War. Yeah. Wars. He goes, oh, like you're offended by Trek? <laughs> yeah. like, no. I was like, he has rehearsed things he says yeah. to people because there's so many people. But he here's what he said to me. He goes, uh, hey, thanks for coming out. And I go, um, yeah, thanks for writing the book. It's <laughs> awesome. And then I was kind of like shook my head at myself like, dumbass. And then, you know, I started thinking of other things that I could have said to him. And I did that working shtick all day where I was like, yeah. um, Mr. Klein, <laughs> um, I like video games like like you do, too. And Did you uh, like Galaga? <laughs> yeah. You like I Galaga? I sure did. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually you go, kid, I'm really busy. They go, uh, Mr. Klein, you and I are the same age. I'm 43. <laughs> oh, what? Baby found a golf ball outside. Look at that. But, uh, Mr. Mr. Klein, um, I was wondering for your next book, what are you planning on doing? Or you know, just, it's like, yeah, I'm really busy signing things. But he's he was a really cool guy. He had his DeLorean outside, and we went and saw that. But the one thing that it was friggin' hot as hell, though. Yes. Scorched earth hot, you know. And Heather always wanted to go to the state capitol, and just that walk a few blocks to there, I was like, I'm dying. Oh, my God, I'm not going like to live. like walking shade to shade. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's how friggin' hot it is, because it's all concrete slab and streets, and it's just radiating. But I, I thought the same thing that I always do whenever you're in heat like that, and you enter a building, and you feel air conditioning. It's really like... Oh, how do people live without this? I don't understand why the guy who invented the air conditioner doesn't have a statue in every city in the world. Like a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, he should be like one of like, you know, they would go top 10 humans ever on Earth. You know, a lot of people would say like Jesus first. I'd be like the guy who invented the air conditioner needs to be one or two. Okay, guys. The guy invented the air conditioner. Think about it. Where would we be in a, as a society without air conditioning? We would be screwed. We're so, like, spoiled. I know I'm spoiled. Oh, yeah. 
If I don't know, has this ever happened to you where your air conditioner's broken down? It sucks. You want to die. You want to move away. Mine hasn't. My brother lives with me, and it started going on the fritz. He had it fixed, and I paid him back. So it was working by the time I got back home. (laughs) I remember this one time when Heather and I lived in our small two-bedroom apartment where the air conditioner wasn't working. I was like, do we have the money to go to a hotel? And she was like, I would totally use my points for. Yeah. We, that night we went to a hotel and I remember I brought, I had to go to work the next day. I brought my, uh, you know, change change of clothes and everything. And I was like, I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to be all nice. And then I went to work and then the next day came home and it was just like, "Eh, it's a little better, I think. So that's the way I feel about the guy who invented the air conditioner. I believe his name was Carrier. Willis Carrier, the inventor of the modern of modern air conditioning. Genius can strike anywhere. For Willis Carrier, it was a foggy Pittsburgh train platform in 1902. Carrier stared through the mist and realized that he could dry air by passing it through water to create fog. This so he guy. created the kind of the... Uh the misting air the, um, yeah the, what would be called a uh, a swamp cooler i guess yeah what my i was talking to my dad about this and he said that the reason movies were so popular is cuz no one had air conditioning but movie theaters were air conditioned it would even say on the marquee air conditioned and people would be <laughs> like hell i'm going to the movies all day Nickel. long <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh are there statues of willis carrier that's what i'm wondering and, of course, that's on the Carrier uh, website. But seriously, you know, I thought of this idea a long time ago of the portal air conditioner. Remember this, Stephen? Mm-hmm. Where first you have to build a, a portal that... Essentially a wormhole. Yeah, a wormhole. One end is in the Arctic. Arctic. The other end is in your house. (laughs) And you're getting cool Arctic air into your house. It would be brilliant. But, of course, you have to invent the portal first. But the portal AC, I would call it one day. And I pictured, like, you having a portal AC in your car and then all of a sudden, like, a you know, polar bear, bro, his claw, some guy driving, oh, Jesus. You know, the, somehow the polar bear had found the vent in the Arctic and he like was sniffing it. Could Is smell it like, like one a, giant one and everybody taps into it, you know, he could smell like a hamburger in your car or something. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So I don't know. But that's what I, when we were in the Capitol and it was air conditioners like, this is glorious. And it was still fairly warm in there, but it was by comparison to outside, you know, even the 80 degrees inside, it's better better than the 103 degrees it was outside. Mm -hmm. I remember when we first got this house that it was nowhere near, you know, we there was barely any insulation over this room. And I remember in the afternoon, it would get like 80 degrees and I'd be like, what is going on here? And I remember one of those things went around the neighborhood where like efficiency, you know, we will, uh, you know, uh, close off all your cracks and uh, put in extra insulation. And I remember I was like, Heather, we got to do this. I am trying to remember how much it was. It was like 700 bucks or something, but you got some kind of write off. Yeah. And we did that and that helped a lot, but I was like, still not quite there. Cause in the afternoon it still does get a little hot. And then I kept hearing about the radiant barrier yeah. where they spray underneath your roof with like this, uh, reflective type. Re- yeah. Reflective paint or whatever. So I was like, let's do it. 
So I remember having a guy come out and he went up there and he goes like, Oh yeah, you'll be set up or whatever. I don't even remember what that cost, but, uh, after that, it was kind of like you would sit in here and go, yeah, it's better. It's better, but not quite <laughs> what I, I need wanted. another foot of insulation above me. <laughs> and I remember like every once in a while, the air conditioner, we had this, that came with the house or whatever. It was this old rusty ass air conditioner. And I would have a guy out to look at it and he go, you sure you don't want a new unit? And I was like, we can't afford that. We can't do it. No, no, no. He's like, all right, uh, this thing's on its last legs or whatever. And then even one time he goes, sir, can you come out here for a minute? And I was like, sure. And he goes, I need you to look at this. And he pulled off the housing and it was an ant mound living like inside (laughs) the thing. And they'd shorted out some kind of board. He was like, uh, yeah, you got ants living in here, and they shorted all this out, so I'm going to replace it with this. They can't get in this thing, so it'll never short it out again. I was like, oh, cool. You ever think about getting a new unit? And I was like, nah, I can't really afford that or whatever. It's like, all right. So finally, we knew we just had to get a new unit. I can't remember. Heather got a bonus or something, but she was like, ask, finally ask the guy about how much it'll cost or whatever. And... When they give you, they give you three options. There's, there's the really high end one. That's like, dude, 10 grand. Yeah. Yeah. There's this middle of the range. That's perfect for your house or whatever. And then there's this, the smaller one. It's cheaper. It's kind of, it's efficient, but you know, you probably want the middle one. And I was like talking over to Heather and I go, we're going to go for the big one. And the guy's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and if you look outside, that thing is freaking huge. I remember watching them hook it up, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to turn that on. <laughs> the funniest thing I remember, it was uh, like two older guys. And, you know, they're, they had to – because you have to do the unit inside the house and mm-hmm. then the unit outside, and they're wiring it up and everything. took, like, all day. I was just sitting here at the computer, like, online, and I'd turn around and look at them. And there was one point where they were, like, getting in a yelling match with each other. No, no, no. I told you that it goes like this. And the guy was like, look, I heard what you said. But I was like, damn, are they going to start hitting each other? It was so funny. They are getting frustrated with each other. But – Finally, when they turned that air conditioner on, I was like, glorious. <laughs> it's wonderful. But the best vent in the house that works the best is in our bedroom. Like, it's like, <laughs> in the middle of the night, it really is like, <laughs> and um, in the middle of the night, like, I've got to have it on 70. I have to sleep cold because I get hot, you know. But. If anything you're going to spend money on in your house, air conditioning should be it, especially in Texas. You should spring for it. And uh, I remember it cost around, it was like $7,000. Yes, it's a lot of money, but it's oh so worth it. Because not only that, because in the summer times before that, with that crappy air conditioner, pulling way much more power, you know? Yeah. Just like so chugging, chugging all day long, you know? Oh, man, it was miserable. And I never remember, it barely worked in the wintertime with a heater. Eventually, it would, like, go, and, like, the smoke would come up from it. Where it's all it the ants are <laughs> trying to keep warm. Working. You know, <laughs> poor little ants. <laughs> just out of curiosity, Stephen, I'm going to type in. Um, Willis Carrier Statues. Yes, Willis Carrier Statue. Let's see if there is one. 
Now they have the inventor of the ice machine. John Goria, Florida, inventor of the ice machine. Stands next to, let me see, visit the page. Let's see. All summer, thousands of visitors traipse among the U.S. Capitol's many statues which honor, honor the nation's founders, leaders, and legends. There's George Washington, father of his country, Abraham Lincoln, and John Gorey, inventor of the ice machine? Wait, what? Inventor of the ice machine? Indeed, there he stands next to civil rights leader Rosa Parks and Daniel Webster and Henry Clay. He's one of 100 honorees chosen by the states starting in 1864. Each state could donate two statues of people illustrious for their historic renown. Some Floridians believe, still believe Gorey doesn't get the respect he deserves. Despite the park's best efforts, Gorey is still not recognized. Everybody knows about Carrier rather than Gorey. Aha! Okay. But Willis Carrier, who produced the first modern electrical air conditioner in 1902, has no statue in the U.S. Capitol. Well, holy Joe. shit! That's what I was getting at. Does he have a statue? And he doesn't, Stephen. Not in the state capitol. Yeah, I want to know where he has the statue because I'm telling you, this uh, this guy doesn't just need a statue. He needs a parade every year in his honor. Am I right? And sure, include the guy who invented the ice machine, because the ice machine's important. Now, are we talking about the ice machine, uh, like, on your refrigerator, or? <laughs> I'm going to do homework on this, Stephen, and find out more are you about You want to commission a statue to? Uh... Yeah, we, I, we must erect a statue in every city on planet Earth. Start a, a Kickstarter campaign. Oh, wait, I think we got Adam. You know, one thing I noticed that the James Randi thing... That he was typing on his computer like this, two fingers, and does he type fast? Not really. And I, he's written several books. I was going, don't tell me he doesn't type. Or he doesn't know how to type because he's written books. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. He's got to know how it's, to type. It's rare that I single punch. I do it sometimes on passwords. Yeah. Like that. That's what I'm saying. It's rare if I'm sitting there writing That's an like email the, or something out. One of the only things of value I learned in high school was typing. Typing class. <laughs> I'm still not good at numbers, though. I still have to look at the numbers because it's just hard to get the feel for the right numbers. I can get it. I get it wrong, and I have to backspace a lot. You know what I mean? But do you, you type without looking, or do you look? I type without looking. And then, you know, I'll look for numbers at times, but I can, when I, like, I can hit most of the numbers, the one and two, I hit kind of, yeah, I'm doing like, uh, and I'll do like zero and a dash will get hit in place of each other like that. I, you know, I can type like when I'm writing, I'm not looking at my fingers at all. I'm just like, I'm just doing, going as fast as I can, you know? I'm going to try calling him again. What if he's got one of those, like, uh, the dragon voice to text James mm. Randy? <laughs> Maybe he does. He can just talk it out. I couldn't do that. Like, tell a story when I'm writing. I was wondering if you would do, ever have thought about that, you I know? I don't think I could. It's like... I don't think I can could you, form can sentences. Can your mind stay that far ahead of talking or... I don't think so. It'd be too distracting. I think, like, when you're writing on a keyboard... I mean, if you're sitting there looking at it come out, and you you know what's going to happen, 
Or do you know what's going to happen? Do you write like King and just start writing? Um, I I do. It's all. It's usually exploratory writing, but sometimes I have an idea where it's going. I'd read. I'd um, read a couple of listen to some writing podcasts and stuff like that. And some advice you listen to, others you just go, I don't want to do that. But one thing uh, I read that seems helpful is basically whatever you're going to write that day, write where you want it to go, and then try to get there. And that's what what I have tried to do before. Like where I sit down and write, I'm like, I'm going to get to this point. I'm gonna. You're like, I'm gonna tell this section of the story. Yeah, I'm gonna somehow get this character to this situation and through this, and that's what mm-hmm. I'm gonna write today, and that's what I'll do. And I've even heard some writers, or um, Hugh Howie said, like people always ask him about, like, do you ever have writer's block? And he said, I don't believe in writer's block. You just keep writing. Even, Even if, if it's shite. Yeah, he said, if you know what? If you can't figure out how to do a scene, just describe the, okay, they're in a bar right now, but what are, you, what are they going to do? Don't worry about that. Just describe the bar in every detail. What's on the walls, the lights, who are the people in the room? And all of a sudden, you want that person to say something, and then all of a sudden, you sparked up a whole scene. And you can go back and throw a lot of that crap out, but it kind of jump starts yeah. you. And uh, doing, so I told Adam to update Skype and then we'll try. But uh, since we're talking about writing, um, one thing that I need to be as, if I want to be a writer, I need to be a disciplined writer and write a certain amount every day. It's like, like Stephen King writes eight hours every day. Right. Like for instance, I'm going to say what I was writing when I was every day was an hour a day, which I don't think is enough. I need to, I think I could write probably three hours a day. I can, you know, I should be writing three hours a day. And if I could find that time to do that, I should do it every time. And some writers, you know, I follow some writers on Twitter. They do writing sprints where they have a certain time of day where they're going to write as much as they can in this allotted amount of time. And I could do that also. And when I was writing every day, which I haven't been doing, uh, which, yes, I do feel like a dick for not doing it. but um, I need more Mulberry Boys. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I was writing Monday through Friday, you know, an hour a day or more. Um, but on Saturday and Sunday, it would be kind of like iffy, you know, whatever. Maybe if Heather like took a nap, I'd write some. But I need to be much more disciplined. Like at one o'clock, right after day. lunch, I'm going to write for like, an hour. Like Hugh Howie, he wrote the book Wool. If if you've never heard of him, hmm. he said he writes even when he's on vacation. He'll have his laptop. He he'll write. Uh, he said one time that he uploaded a book to Kindle when he was at a. Uh, um, what do you call it? One of those things where writers talk and they give a little lecture or whatever. He was sitting there waiting and he was on the Wi-Fi and he was writing. And then he was like, well, I'm finished. And he uploaded it before he had to get up and talk. So he has no, uh, he's like, you should constantly write. Right. And you know, I've heard like Ernie Klein has talked about, he doesn't enjoy writing. He loves when the writing's done. And then you have this work to look at that's yeah. fantastic but it's really hard to write yeah. to get it down because you've you've uh, thought about things you wanted to change in your story but you still need to 
finish your story and then go back and make your changes. Right. I honestly believe the first part of uh, the stuff that I've written, I know like the first couple of chapters as I was getting a feel are pretty bad and I would definitely need to rewrite them. But that's the same with any book. You're going to have to rewrite stuff. And that's one thing that I've, first of all, I need to finish something to rewrite it, which I've never done. You know, I don't, I've I've finished a couple of screenplays, if you want to call them that, but those have actually had uh, I've finished those. I need to f- figure out how to finish a novel, novel, novella, yeah, short a, story, yeah, a novel. I'd like a prose story, and you know, um, another thing is you know because. I do want people to read my work, but at the same time, I'm terrified, you know, like I'll show you the stuff I've written, uh, but you're like the only person who it has uh, years later when I'm no longer of this earth or whatever. And you'll say, yeah, I read his work. It was great. Two had nobody else comes to me. No. But uh, I would like to I just... co-wrote with him once on some goofy crap. But, but it's like... But we like bits and pieces of what... The... I've even listened to this podcast, the self-publishing podcast, where these writers, they write together. Mm-hmm. They both... One guy does all the research and he does the story beats and he gives it to the other guy and he just starts writing, you know? And they'll have writing meetings and go, this is what it's going to be about or whatever. And I'm wondering, like, that would be fun if we could do something like that. Like, you and I plan some story and just write it, mm-hmm. you know, story beats or whatever. I think that would be fun. I mean, sure, we I could do my own story that I'm working on also. Right. And then we could have this. They do projects. They, they uh, I have uh, a You couple- have to get over the idea that you'll insult me. <laughs> yeah, you're. Or, you were afraid that you would get me mad at the the story we wrote together. It's like we didn't finish it, obviously, because right. It, it just really wasn't going. It was more of a writing exercise for me. No, yeah, when yeah, I was, me too. Um, they the guys okay. that I'm talking about. They wrote a book called Write, Publish, Repeat, where their model basically of being a successful author is to keep putting the product out there regularly. A lot of people, they, I have a book in me. I'm going to publish a book Mm -hmm. and they write a book or maybe they don't, but there's that one book. They don't believe in that. They believe in continuously like keep writing where, uh, they publish stories like seasons of a TV show. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole model now with the Kindle where, um, you can publish directly to the Kindle now. You don't even have to have a publishing deal. Uh, and if, say, like Hugh Howey, he got started with Wool. He published it as a sh- short story on the Kindle. And then he looked one day and he was like, holy shit, like a thousand people have downloaded this for 99 cents. Uh, I need to keep going and do another chapter and whatever. And uh, a lot of these uh, writers, they figured out a way to regularly publish a serial, you know, on Kindle where like one every couple of weeks, a chapter. And then when it's all the story's over, then you compile it and sell it as a book. Also, um, they don't believe, you know, how Stephen King even, you know, he writes so much that he has what one or two books a year, three, um, three this year, I think. Yeah. A lot of <laughs> authors, they, they write more than they actually get published. Cause they're like, you don't want to glut your market. 
But what they don't realize that a lot of fans of these books, like, I have no idea when Ernie Klein finished Armada. It could have been, like, the same year as Ready Player One. Right. It's, like, 2012. But uh, Sitting on it. Yeah. Publishers sit on this stuff for a while, you know? But if you self-publish... You can put and, it out, and if it was in, if it was a a serial book, kind of like like King did with the Green Mile. Uh huh. He did, you know, whatever it was, what six little six little books. Yeah, yeah, or, and so. that's what a lot of people are doing now. You know, okay. And he Adam's released, gonna try calling me. And he released them in the little pulp style. Adam, you there? I'm here. Oh yeah! <laughs> hey, woohoo! <laughs> Finally. <laughs> no, it was okay. We were talking uh, anyway. We were talking about writing and publishing and stuff. Basically, I was talking about how I don't. Adam, we've talked about this before, haven't we? Like Kindle, or do you ever read eBooks, or do you? Would you rather have the physical copies? Yeah, we have we have had this conversation. Yeah, and I think the general consensus is uh, I forget what Stephen's position is. Oh, hi, by the way, hi Stephen, how are you doing? Good, Adam. How are you? Uh, I'm doing fine. Um, I believe my stance was I do both, but. As for new books or new magazines, I usually just go through uh, my nook, and uh, I believe both of you kind of do the same, though it seems like on in Stephen's case, maybe he leans a little bit more toward physical copies. Correct. Yeah. Like, for travel's sake, my iPad is perfect. I, I can carry books. You yeah. know, I, I can carry every book that I own. Like you, know? you want to own the Stephen King book? Oh yeah, yeah. But like a book like <laughs> Armada, where you're, you're like, I'll read this just on the road. You'll get it like for your iPad to read, right? Right. And I think I did that with Ready Player One. But we went and saw him at this show, and yeah, I got so a book like, signed. Buy a physical copy, since you. Yeah, I always think that. Like I, I'm going to own it on uh, the Kindle. But if I have a chance for the author to sign it, then I'm going to buy the physical copy because that's pretty cool. Like right now I'm reading Andy Weir's The uh, The Martian, which is a really cool book on the Kindle. But if he was like signing books somewhere, I'd be mm. like, okay, I got to buy it. Come on. I got to have this guy sign this. This is awesome or whatever. So it's it's like that. It's like when I go on and I buy – I've been buying books off of Amazon and I'll look and see, okay, they got a collectible Mm-hmm. Click on that. Okay, it's ten or fifteen dollars more, and it's signed. It's like I've, all my Joe Hill books are signed, right? And, nice. And um, Owen's, I bought Owen King's book as well. It's signed. That's it's cool. like you know, and I, and I paid you know ten or fifteen dollars more than the uh, list price. Yeah, if an author means a lot to you, but if you're just going to buy a book on a whim, it's going to be like the ebook, right? Just like oh, I'm trying see to think, if I have like I this. bought any just on a whim? Well, I, I did start with the with the Joe Hills on a whim on, mm-hmm. on the ebook, and but that's you how you buy I, it for the iPad, right? Yeah, right. Uh, what is it called? iBooks. 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 Yeah. Okay. Um, no, but the reason I was talking about that, Adam, is because I was saying like if I. Uh, if I ever complete a story I'm writing, <laughs> like, say, the Mulberry Boys Mysteries or the other book I'm writing, um, I would publish it directly to the Kindle because you can do that now where you can publish directly to Kindle and people can buy it um, simply, you know, from Amazon, from the Kindle store. And you don't have to have a publisher anymore or whatever like that. 
Right. I just think it's a cool thing. Like you could even publish a serial where it's a regularly, uh, like every month, a different chapter of your story or something like that. I just think it's fascinating that people can do that now. Now, yes, I know there's a lot of shit out there, you know, a lot of bad writing <laughs> or whatever, but it'd be cool if you just had this group of people that find you and then they keep following you and to keep putting out work for them to read. You know, you, that's how you gather like listeners on a podcast or readers or something. What if I make a suggestion here? Okay. We take Shinebox and make it prose and make it prose <laughs> and do the serial. But you take the tell the parts you know take the parts out you say you want to keep for your stories. Uh huh. And we do a serial with that. Yeah, that would be cool. Or I would say, I mean, that would be cool. I mean, it's something also, we've already kind of started, and it's yeah. in, a, in a lengthy format, and it really is going nowhere, but but we would have to... <laughs> it's really going nowhere. Uh, no, no, I mean, it's just a long story. We don't have... We you, we could just do a whole start from scratch and just call it Shinebox, and it'd be something right. else. Also. Well, yeah, I mean, but it could be... I don't want to say similar, but with mm-hmm. the same characters... Right. And whatnot. Yeah, that would be fun. I mean, the main thing is I just need to get back into writing every day. But uh, anyway, Adam, how's it going, buddy? <laughs> it's going just fine. How are you? Good. We've talked about tiny houses. We've talked about tree houses. We've talked about documentaries. Uh, the Amazing Randy. The Amazing Randy. We've talked about uh, Island of Dr. Moreau documentary. Yes. Uh, the Lost Souls movie. Yeah. Did you see that? I did. I thought it was awesome. It was fascinating. <laughs> it really was. I don't know if you've you've often told me how on certain TV shows that you you turn on the subtitles, uh-huh. and Richard Stanley has an accent, or maybe it's just the 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 audio quality, where I just couldn't under I couldn't understand, so I had to turn on the subtitles uh, just uh, just to oh, hear yeah. just to make sure that I understood what he was talking about. But man, otherwise it's it, it, it was an amazing documentary. I mean, just how how messed up a production that was. How I came away just thinking. Val Kilmer's the biggest prick, <laughs> isn't he? Wow. Yeah, he's he, and I've I've heard stories off and on, and, and maybe it really took hold in the '90s when, as soon as he became Batman or something, that uh, the, the the fortune or at least the limelight really, and and that affects certain actors sometimes like they'll i mean they can still re- be really good at their craft but it, but they can't i mean they they, they, they can't get past their own ego <laughs> you know yeah exactly like they they were saying this is the height of his career where he had just been batman so he really did think his shit didn't stink you know and I think Marlon Brando, he just didn't care about anything. No, you know? <laughs> he didn't. He just had a payday. Yeah. And it, and it was so weird because they, – and they mentioned this in the documentary. I mean Brando has like this legendary status, but he's not – even at that point, maybe for like the last 20 years of or 15 years of his career, it's not like he was a – big box office draw no, like no, no. you know the yeah. way he was in the 60s I and 70s people would, if he was in a movie they go 
oh, this is going to be a train wreck. You know, yeah. that's the way yeah, I want to see it because it. it's going to be screwed. Up. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be terrible. You know, and they even said at one point we just got done making this movie with him, and I don't think the movie had ever been released. The last <laughs> one that he was work on or something. Yeah, and, and Richard Stanley was. I mean, he he was. Uh, he was clearly excited about getting Brando because of the connection between him and Colonel Kurtz, the character he was in Apocalypse Now. Yeah, and I and, but but <laughs> Apocalypse Now had a screwed up production too. Yeah, it was terrible. He was uh, I, he was I, hard to work with on that movie. Yeah, and Heart of Darkness. I'm pretty sure that Coppola wanted to kill <laughs> uh, Marlon Brando. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, it's funny, I'd never before thought of the similarities between the island of Dr. Moreau and Heart Heart of Darkness. And yeah. they were very similar. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a fascinating documentary. I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I'm so glad they brought it to Netflix because I figured, uh, or at least Netflix streaming, because I figured I'd have to wait a little bit just to watch it. But uh, it's it's definitely worth the wait. Ever, ever since I read that uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, article, I was like, oh, man, I need to see this. I need to see exactly what 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 went wrong and it seems like everything went wrong and there's another documentary that i really want to see it's called doomed the untold story of roger corman's fantastic four (laughs) 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 and it's about uh you know the horrible fantastic four movie that was never released and i want to play the trailer here hopefully it's all uh you know dialogue up audio yeah yeah you know Roger Corman. It was the seedy, dark side of Hollywood. The part of Hollywood that you just go, oh, why does it have to be like that, you know? Everybody <laughs> that worked on this film, we all rolled the dice, thinking the game was fair, but it was rigged. We gambled with our heart and our soul and our artistic ability to make a really good movie, the best we could with what we had. We were making a movie for probably around a million dollars of the Fantastic Four. A million dollars? You can't do that. You just can't. But we did. The heart of this film and the intentions behind this film from the people who made the movie, not the business interests, the people who made the movie, their intentions were pure. They wanted to make a great Fantastic Four movie. This was going to be a breakout movie for a lot of us. The music is fantastic. Make a film like this. About a huge franchise. I mean, I I can see where this is going. It was a lot of people who were sincere in what they were doing. And then, uh, basically, what's funny about this is I believe the reason this film got made is because whoever, whatever studio had the rights to Fantastic Four were going to lose them unless they made the movie. Right. Sounds yeah. sounds like Sony and Spider Man. Well, that's it. Well, that Sony and this Fantastic Four. I believe yeah. they made this Fantastic Four because they were going to lose the rights to it if they did it. And what what did they get? Um, maybe they should have just let the rights lapse and go back to Marvel or whatever. But um, that's I'm fan. I'm fascinated hoping, by this, and I want to watch this. Wonder if Glenn Hetrick's in it. <laughs> Glenn Hetrick, yeah. It's did optic he, nerve. Did the the visuals? Did he do the thing? I don't. 
But I mean, I can see. Come on, they, he had to. Have. They have the cast of the Fantastic Four, and they were like, "We thought we were making something special." I can understand that. You know, the people who made uh, Troll Two thought they were making something special, <laughs> but uh, it looks like a terrible movie. But that's part of the fun and appeal of it. because I remember. Uh, Reading about this, like in Marvel Age, Marvel Age was a monthly comic where they told you all about, you know, things upcoming with Marvel. And you, they had a picture of the Fantastic Four. And I remember seeing the cover and going, <laughs> this looks so shitty. It looks <laughs> shitty to everybody. And you can't tell me any kid saw that and was like, Awesome! <laughs> no, everyone was like, God, this looks like shit. You know, and then to finally learn that this movie is shelved and will never be released. It was more like, oh, thank God than anything. And of course, you know, It'd then be the a the- sneak release on YouTube <laughs> 20 years, 30 years <laughs> yeah. later. <laughs> you can watch it on YouTube now, but I've watched decent the quality. Thing. I yeah, watched I just the did the thing. hand at the very end of all my <laughs> <laughs> But I, I oh my god! The, I want to watch this documentary so bad, though. I love the Human Torch in that <laughs> at the end because it's a what? cartoon torch man yeah. around. Well, yeah, Steven, I, I mean, because I haven't seen I haven't seen the movie, and uh, I, I know what the thing looks like, and I know uh, I mean I know all about the the famous uh, hand hand no <laughs> Mr. Fantastic's hand coming out, but I was I, I I have no idea what the Human Torch looks like. Do they just crappily it animate him in some bad weird way? Animated. It's two D. I mean, it's, it's like drawn it, on the cell. It's, it's kind drawn. Of thing. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> It's not even a, you know, it's not a human figure at all. I mean, person, it is just a flat out drawing on fire, you know. Wow. It's cartoon oh flames. God. All that doomed. <laughs> Shit, I got to figure out. This is going to be on Netflix eventually, right? That's uh, what I assume. Yeah, all all documentaries go to Netflix eventually. <laughs> I remember yes. I really wanted to see the, the one about the Shining, like Room, whatever. And that has been on there. Yeah, and I when I watched it, I was like, I'm so glad I watched this. And like, <laughs> it's just a bunch of whack jobs talking about The Shining, basically. Yeah. So Kubrick was really talking about how he filmed the moon landing. He helped fake the moon landing. And he was kind of like telling people who, if they read between the lines of the symbolism in The Shining, like, I faked it and I can't tell you, but look. You know, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I really do hope they bring uh, Jodorowsky's Dune to Netflix streaming. Oh, That's me too. that. That was still one of the best documentaries I've ever I've ever seen. And uh, Richard Stanley had something to do with that too, didn't he? Um, not he that I can remember. He was he wasn't featured in the documentary to my m- memory, oh, but I I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet in some way it influenced him because that that's a that's a movie that a movie project I should say that influenced Hollywood because of um the script like that big bible of not only the script but uh you know what what do they call it like uh the little draw like the the screen screenshots or like uh, little um drawings that they would to visually Tell the story. I mean, what do you call those? Uh, storyboards. Storyboards. All the storyboards, detailed explanations on how they were going to achieve each special effect shot, uh-huh. uh, costume drawings, 
just everything contained in this one big tomb. And by the end of that documentary, it explains to you that a lot of these concept drawings, whether they were from H.R. Geiger or from um, – I forgot the other artist who was involved – uh, how they influence everything from Star Wars to Alien to Flash Gordon to yeah, Prometheus. Yeah. And I, you had to assume that that got to Richard Stanley at some particular point. So why yeah. not? It says that he's in it. Maybe you just didn't know who he was when you it's saw been, it. It's been roughly – it's been almost a year since I've seen it. Yeah. So maybe I, – there's a lot of people in it like Nicholas Winding Refn and uh, even Drew McWeeny shows up, Devin Faraci of uh, Birth Movies Death website shows up. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people love it and are are uh, very are it, huge fans of the story of that yeah, movie I project. I hope it comes to uh, Netflix. Yeah, Did but you ever- it, it's worth it's worth checking out on uh, DVD rental if you can if you can acquire it by that means. Have you seen the film Hardware, Richard Stanley's movie? I have not, but it's. Uh, I think it's. It was in my Netflix queue last time I checked. It, I I have always enjoyed that film. It's very bizarre, but it's visually it's very stunning the way it looks. It's got a great look to it, and I recommend uh, you checking it out. Okay. And uh, there's this one guy. I remember we had a drop to it a long time ago. This guy. And we all. Talk the wibberly wobbly talk. Do you remember that? <laughs> that guy is from Hardware. He's this really okay. creepy dude, and uh, you'll get to experience this guy. Oh, we all walk the wibberly wobbly walk. <laughs> it's like, what the hell is this? But yeah, I, it was a very cool movie. I remember seeing that film blindly based on the commercial. And I was like, "Oh, I gotta go see this! What the hell is this flick?" You know, those and, were the days. Yeah, the, that back then, like the only like you had a Starlog or Fangoria. That's the only way yeah. you knew about films, or or the more pretentious Premier magazine. Do you guys remember yeah. Premier? Yes. Whatever happened to Premier? Come on! I, was, I think I subscribed to that briefly. Yeah, they would have the the list of the summer movies or the fall movies. And you would just like, I would carry that around with me. Like, oh, some movie called Edward Scissorhands? What the hell is that? <laughs> I'll never forget working with that girl, Stephanie, in uh, MJ Designs. Mm-hmm. She was like a school teacher. Right. And telling her that there's a movie coming out with Johnny Depp called Edward Scissorhands where he has scissors for hands. And she was like, that is so made up. And I go, <laughs> no, it's true. It's Edward Scissorhands. It's like, did you guys hear what he's saying? He's going to be in a movie called Edward Scissorhands. He has scissors for hands. That's made up. Well, anyway, a cut to a year later, whenever the movie came out, she no longer worked there. And I was just like, somewhere she's like, oh, my God, he wasn't lying. <laughs> and I just like, she thought I was making that shit up. I was not. I just had a copy of Premier Magazine that told me about these things. And she probably liked the movie, all things considered. And she's probably like, Johnny. Oh, he's so sweet. Why don't they just make sleeves to go over the blade so he could actually touch Winona Ryder? Okay, they never thought of that, I guess. Uh, Yeah, but I, I, by seeing that movie, all I had to go on was 
like TV spots or trailers or something. It otherwise, I, I, I wasn't reading a whole lot of publications by then. But that movie just seemed to come out of nowhere, and it was like this huge hit. Mm-hmm. I think we, I somehow got a free pass to that movie. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. I got like this Warner Brothers free pass somehow, and I don't even remember how I did. I just saw, happened to see something. I believe I was a Tim Burton fan by then already. Yeah, yeah, we knew who Tim Burton was and all that. Um, but I don't know if my cousin had it. Like, do you want to see that Edward Scissorhands movie? I got a free pass. And I was like, hell yes, I do. <laughs> and Stephen and I went to go see it or whatever. But uh, I do like Edward Scissorhands up to a point. And there's a certain point where the movie gets dark where I'm like, you know what? It, it, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like the ending to Edward Scissorhands at all. But do you, do you, I do really enjoy the film. Still to this day, you don't? No, I don't. I, I get mad. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't understand how it had to get all dark and he had to kill Anthony Michael Hall. What the hell happened to the... At that point where Anthony Michael Hall dies, I'm like, what just happened to the movie? This is stupid. The, and bad, guy, the bad guy bites it and you're upset over that? Yeah, because it's not like he was abusive or anything. He was a dick. Did he deserve to die? He tried to have Edward Scissorhands framed for like what, like robbery or something. I forget. It's been a yeah, while yeah. since I've seen the movie, but yeah, yeah he was a dick his, to Edward Scissorhands. Stealing still, from his own dad. I just there's a certain point where a film does something where you're either on board or you're not, and right. I'm not on board, and I never have been. <laughs> so anyway, how did we get on that subject? <laughs> Now, Adam, I want to talk to you about Mission Impossible. We all saw that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. What did you guys think of uh, nutty Tom Cruise in uh, Mission Impossible? <laughs> I thought it was highly entertaining. Yeah, it was. I, I enjoyed I, it. I think it may be my favorite movie of the series so far. Yeah, I can see that. It was a, a lot of fun. The action sequences, like, it had set pieces in the film they were all fantastic i thought yeah and and i love that you know they've been marketing the hell out of the airplane stunt but that's that opens the movie yeah and to to me that motorcycle chase at the halfway point is pretty much the highlight of it but i mean there's there's great sequences all the way through it i and, and i've mentioned this on facebook i i I was in, I was a big fan of Ghost Protocol. That was my favorite of the series before. I thought that that, yeah. that did a that did a great job of the whole teamwork ethic. That was very uh, that was a trademark of the Mission Impossible series. And uh, you had a pretty good villain. You had a pretty good plot to go up against it. And uh, what Rogue Nation does is that it embraces the cloak-and-dagger-style spy plot in in a way that hasn't really been done since the first movie, where you don't know who's working for whom, and there's a there's this air of paranoia uh, all over the film for a good portion of the time. And a lot of that has to do with like the Rebecca Ferguson character. You don't know if she's working with Hunt or working against him or she's a double agent, and it just... It, it really did keep me guessing. There are some reveals, some reveals I could see coming, some I didn't, and I just love that. Uh, I, I was just, I wasn't trying to outthink the movie. I was just kind of in. I was just kind of, uh, kind of accepting its flow and its energy, and uh, just allowed it to wash over me. And 
I just loved the ways that it surprised me as uh, as it told its little tale. It was just genuinely entertaining, you know. Yeah, Simon Pegg was fantastic. Yeah, like you said, the whole cast, the way they all worked together was great. And I think this is probably one of the first times I've seen an honest motorcycle-style chase, you know, mm-hmm. where you're well, not remember, a f- Yeah, the the Mission Impossible 2, the John Woo, oh my that God. motorcycle <laughs> stuff drove you crazy. Yeah. Because it's basically motorcycle foo, yeah. like kung fu motorcycles or whatever. And I remember when that came out, you were like, oh, God, I hate this. Or whatever. <laughs> it drove you nuts, but... Uh, yeah, just little things like this that. One, but the sense of speed and everything, and this was directed yeah. by uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who mm-hmm. uh, also directed Jack Reacher, and I believe didn't he? He got started. He's a writer who wrote uh, The Usual Suspects. That's what I knew him from. And he also his the first movie he directed was Way of the Gun. Have you guys love that, that film? I've never actually seen that. Oh, uh, you're going to love it. With Ryan Philippe and Benicio Del Toro. I yeah. think I've seen bits of it on TV, flipping channels, and been like, oh, I need to watch this the whole way. But uh, he really showed me he's got the chops to do action. And uh, that, even that whole scene, the way it uses music when he went to the opera and there's yeah. all the things mm-hmm. happening behind the scenes. I thought the way the tension built built in that scene was fantastic. It was a lot of fun, and it makes me excited about, I think he's going to do the next Jack Reacher film, so like the sequel, so I want to see that too. Oh, he also wrote the screenplay to Edge of Tomorrow, so this guy can write and direct, so that's pretty cool. I say give him one of those uh, Star Wars films. <laughs> give those to everybody, you know. But I want to say he did uncredited script polishes on some of Brian Singer's X-Men movies as well, especially like the early, like the first two he did. Yeah, because it looks like he started out as a Brian Singer guy. Like that was he was. Yeah, like Brian they've team. known each other since I want to say like teenagers or so. So they basically have been collaborators, you yeah. know, he most wrote, of their lives. He he wrote uh, Public Access, which I believe was Brian Singer's first film. Yeah. Then he wrote The Usual Suspects. Then he wrote The Underworld. Um, I don't know what that is, but. Mm-hmm. That's not Underworld. That's the Underworld. And then he wrote and directed Way of the Gun. So it set him up. You know, that's awesome. I loved it. It's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I, I kind of wish they were able to bring back Paula Patton, her character from uh, oh, yeah, that Ghost cool. Protocol. But man, cool. Rebecca Ferguson makes a really damn good impression. Yeah, the, I was saying to Stephen, I was like, the director loved her. He gave her yeah. all the best shots in the film. <laughs> it would show her long legs and like going up the stairs or preparing to shoot the rifle. And I could just see the director like, okay, yeah, start right here. <laughs> you know, it's just the the lens loved her is what I'm saying. And yeah, but she, she's also got like this fantastic uh, character. Yeah, and, she, uh, she was a badass. Oh, that knife fight near the end? I'm like, holy crap. And I loved her character's (laughs) name. It was Ilsa Faust or Faust. Ilsa Faust, which I thought was a cool name. So they've got to bring her back for the next one, don't you think? Like they keep uh, bringing a new woman into each movie. But if we were – I don't rank films usually, but the first Mission Impossible I thought was fine, the Brian De Palma one. 
The yeah. second, the John Woo movie, it gets a little ridiculous. silly. Yeah, so a little ridiculous. The third one, great. J.J. Abrams. I yes. really enjoy that film. I watch Maggie it whenever, whenever it's on like Showtime or something. I'll watch it. Uh, Ghost Protocol, I, gre- I agreed with you. I thought was the best. But this one, I thought was, I was like, this is a crowd pleaser. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love this film. You know, so I'm going to say Rogue Nation. It's funny because it almost goes in reverse, like the the most recent, the best, and it goes on down. You know, they keep topping themselves. I think. Yeah, and I've I was kind of I was trying to watch M, uh, the second movie on Netflix, and I remember when that thing came out that I I liked it at first because I was I was you know, willing to drink whatever Kool Aid. John Woo would be able oh, to yeah, give us, absolutely. despite the fact that his U.S. his U.S. output hasn't been as strong as his Hong Kong stuff. Right. These days, I look I look at it, and while it's a beautifully shot movie with really great sound design and some good moments, oh yeah, Hans Zimmer is great in that, I believe. Yeah, it is. It is embarrassing in a lot of places. Like its script. I, 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 I'm having trouble trying to figure out how it is that Robert Town was the guy who wrote the screenplay. I know. Because it's it's shockingly bad. Well, yeah, if you were – I could see where Tom Cruise came from. He was like, I'm going to get Robert Town to write this. Ooh, yeah, that's going to be good. I'm going to get John Woo to do it. He does awesome action. Yeah. Dude, the recipe sounds like it's going to be fantastic, you know? Yeah, and and the crazy thing is that movie for a long time was uh, like until like the fourth movie came out, I believe. Uh, I may be wrong about this, but the second movie was like the highest grossing film of that year, especially domestically. Yeah. So it was a crowd pleaser, but I, think I mean, after I saw I Heather and I saw it in the theater, I think when I walked out, I was like, "Dude, that's pretty badass." You know, it wasn't until later after watching it came on, I was like, "Okay, it is silly." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's very silly. Yeah, but I, I think I enjoyed it at the time. You know. Yeah, and, and I can't, the problem is you can't. I can't really see it as a Mission Impossible movie because it rejects a lot of the characteristics that make up the other movies. Like there's the strong emphasis on teamwork. It, it, it feels to me like a dry run for a Bond movie that John Woo will never be able to make because right. the producers would never give a, a Bond film to John Woo because that's what he would come up with. I also think when I watch it, Tom Cruise's hair drives me crazy in that. <laughs> it's just like, dude, get a haircut. His hair is ridiculous. <laughs> he has kind of like this seven-year-old haircut where he like it's not quite long, but it's not quite short. It's kind of like moppy. in between. Yeah, it's like a mop, mop top. I don't know what you would call it, but it does. You know, it's just like flowing around through the whole movie, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just always in the way. Use some but, product, comb it. And I remember, remember they were like <laughs> Limp Biscuit. They did the Mission Impossible theme. It's like, no, come on, guys. Don't. But J.J. Abrams definitely righted the ship with the third one. I thought. Yeah, he did, he did, and I I know some people like to do. Oh, it's like it's like it's like the opening pilot to Alias or whatever. It, it, what it, I know, you can make the comparisons all you want, but what he wrote and directed was very solid. Yeah, and JJ had just come from Alias too, so uh, what are you gonna do? No, well, made a made a better product than 
Alias overall, I, I, I could almost argue. I mean, especially I, the way that that TV series turned out. Yeah, and I remember reading the story that Tom Cruise basically binge-watched what the run of Alias up until then, and he knew he wanted J.J. Abrams to do the next Mission Impossible. So he basically left Alias to go work on Mission Impossible 3, and... Uh, mm-hmm. He's Smart been making, move. He's been making films ever since, basically. And yeah, Alias did completely unravel by that final season. Like those second, that first two seasons are just, they're pretty much perfect, they're I would say. Great television. Yeah. Yeah. And the third season, I'm trying to remember, distinguish them. The third season was fine, I thought. It, it's the. It started to get bad, didn't it? Or it, the, the more will. supernatural uh, elements of of the, Rand- the ongoing Rand- story, like that little I, I forgot what the little device that they were trying to unlock. Or it was the Rambaldi device, wasn't it? Yeah, the MacGuffin that doesn't really interest or make sense. Yeah, it, it, when they started bringing in, I think it was the Melissa George character who got romantically involved with uh, what's-his-face. Whenever they have, and this is the same for any show, the mole character. Mm-hmm. They're really a bad guy, but they're pretending. And I remember when this uh, happened later on Fringe, the first thing I think is, Oh God! How long is this storyline going to last? Because I can't handle this. I hate mole storylines. You know, <laughs> I can't handle it. And in Alias that season, the mole storyline went on for too long. That's you know? that's part of the problems. You had these long, drawn out, uh, season long story arcs that just didn't really amount to anything yeah. special. But definitely, the first two seasons are fantastic. Yeah, they they are they are truly fun. Definitely. So what else do we talk about? <laughs> uh, oh, well, let me ask you guys this, because um, The Man from Uncle came out today. Do you have any interest in seeing that? Are you Guy Ritchie fan at all, Adam? I do. I, I generally like his movies. I don't think he makes you know great films overall, but like, for the most part, he's made solid, yeah, entertaining, like the, fun uh, movies. The uh, Sherlock Holmes movies he did I thought were a lot of fun. Yeah, and I liked Rock and Rolla. I'm still waiting on the sequel that he teased at the end of that movie. But uh, but yeah, I, I do want to go see uh, Man from Uncle. I may see it if not tomorrow, then maybe Sunday. But I, I uh, like it, it, it it just it just looks like a whole lot of fun, I, and it won't be the great you know it won't be uh, a spy movie on the level with. Uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, but it should be fun on its own terms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a very kinetic filmmaker. You know, he does he the quick editing and all that stuff. I get a kick out of that stuff. And there's one film that I watched too many times, and that was Snatched. Like it used to be yeah. on like HBO, like every day, and like I'd watch it way too many times. Like <laughs> right. I can't take any more of this. But um. I I do think he can be a good filmmaker, and like I said, the there was nothing wrong with the the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes movies. They were a lot of fun. I thought I, I did too, uh, and I really loved the sequel, uh, Game of Shadows, because of mm-hmm. its portrayal of Moriarty. Yeah, Jared Harris is fantastic. Yeah. Love that guy, and uh, Straight Out of Compton. You guys want to see that? Steven, you and me go to Oak Cliff and go watch that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not really interested. Straight out of Compton. What is Return to Sender? 
That's with uh, Rosamund Pike, Nick Nolte, Rumor Willis. Never heard of it. Yeah, nope. 9% rotten. Must not be any good. <laughs> no. uh, yeah. Okay. I have no clue what that one is. Yeah, so I'm curious into... I'm just... Just for shits and giggles, I'm going to look on Cinemark, uh, their website, to see what's showing in XD this week. And it is... Drum roll, please. Shit, this isn't the... This is Fandango. Damn you, Fandango. <laughs> there we go. Oh, Straight out of Compton is an XD. Damn. I was hoping Man from Uncle was. Straight out of Compton has been getting good reviews, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll check it out, but I'm not going to see it in the theater. I'll probably watch. wait till cable. But Right. I know. Now, Adam, I know you didn't see Fantastic Four. I know you no, I was scared off by it. Basically, um, I, I still think you know. I, I still think Josh Trank is a promising uh, film director, and yeah. and, I, and I hope that he gets he gets to make more stuff. But it just this has been reminding me of uh, like a production like Alien Three, where the studio executives wanted a certain movie, the producers wanted a certain movie, the directors wanted to make director wanted to make a certain movie, and the end result doesn't please anyone, so it's a train wreck. And we're not dumb. We we all know people in the know know that Fox are meddlesome. We know yeah. that they do that. That's what they did on the X-Men. That's why we got X-Men Last Stand and we got X-Men Origins Wolverine from their meddling. It's when they figured out, oh, crap, we're ruining these movies. And they let Brian Singer or Matthew Vaughn come back. Remember, Matthew Vaughn was going to direct The Last Stand, X-Men The Last Stand. And he left because he was like, they're rushing everything. They're, we need to take time and do this. But they're... He's like, I can't do this. And he quit. And it was even his idea to cast Kelsey Grammer as the Beast. He loved that casting. but So they kept that. And he left. Kind of like, you know, um, Island of Dr. Moreau. The director casts people and sets up the effects. And then he leaves. Or he got fired. But um, when Matthew Vaughn was able to come and do the X-Men his way, then they kind of re- Vitalize the franchise where now they got stuff going again, you know? It's like, hey, right. maybe we should have listened to this guy in the first and- place. <clears throat> but that's the same. They were driving Spider Man into the ground and Fantastic Four. It's obviously they just made it because they wanted to keep the rights. When, if you go back and listen to the show, whenever, when this was first announced, it sounded ridiculous. It, it was like a why. Is anyone demanding a Fantastic Four film? No. no. Nobody wants to see it. Um, and I've read some people say, you know, they've already made this film and it's called The Incredibles. And it's true. The Incredibles is the Fantastic Four, essentially. Pixar's version. Uh, I'd rather see a sequel to The Incredibles than another <laughs> Fantastic Four movie. Do, um, do you believe that the Fantastic Four just can't be made into a good movie? No, not at all. I just, really? Why? Why is that? Is it just too strange of a scenario and the way the characters are made up? I mean, I, I've heard, no, I've heard, I, you know, the arguments that there are just some things in comics you just cannot pull off in no, a movie. No, no. But believe, you know, I, but we yeah. live in a post Guardians of the Galaxy world, no, and I'm just kind of thinking we can do almost anything. But is Fantastic Four just that rare exception where? No, I. I honestly think that you could make the Fantastic Four into a successful film, but
but you have to embrace the Fantastic Four and do everything that it consists of. Look at the Fantastic Four movies that they'd made before. They Doctor Doom was so uninspired in those films. Right. And then they brought in Galactus, but they didn't bring in Galactus. He was a big puffy cloud of smoke. Remember? It was yeah. like this big yes. cloud in the sky. And they had the Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer is the best part of that movie. But they don't they're they balk at the fantasticalness of whatever. They they need to embrace the mole man and all their crazy villains and all their wacky inventions of Reed Richards. They need to go full bore and embrace the go property. Ant-Man with it, yeah, they can do it. Yeah. Just think if Marvel did have control of it, I honestly think they would figure it out. It's got to be fun. Nothing about that Fantastic Four movie looked fun to me. It all looks serious yeah. and dark. And these people, they have powers and they're they're moody and shit. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, the Fantastic Four, everyone knew who they were. They knew where they lived in New York in the Baxter building. They were superstars. They're fantastic, you know. Uh, yeah, Fantastic Four, obviously. But they were like celebrity superheroes. And they yeah. can embrace that. If they actually did it, you know, and even at the end of the Incredibles, remember at the very end, their version of the mole man comes up from the ground and uh, that's like, oh, this is like where the sequel will lead or whatever. They need to do Fantastic Four that embraces the nuttiness of it. Right. Because it's a very creative comic with a, a lot of imagination and it's like no imagination is brought to it, you know. Except for that one dance scene in the second one. (laughs) I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. (laughs) That dance scene. Oh, my God. But I did think Christopher Evans or Chris Evans was fantastic as the Human Torch. He brought a lot of fun to it, I thought. Yeah. It's funny because I kept reading about this Fantastic Four that for no reason all of a sudden uh, Kate Mara's got a blonde wig on, but she didn't for the rest of the movie or something. <laughs> it's like when they did the reshoots, they just gave her a blonde wig or something. I don't know. I've got to see that. That's, I don't know. That's yeah, and, it, and a lot of the reviews kind of point out that her character fell a little sidelined. Like they didn't know what to do with her? Well, I mean, especially in the in like the third act, where you know that you you had the whole uh, where most of the action took place. It's it, it read some reviews just pointed out like she wasn't all that heavily involved in like where, where the action comes in, and that just that's also that's also a big problem. Yeah, big time. Yeah, but uh, you were talking earlier about certain filmmakers like Matthew Vaughn walking away from the X-Men when it was clearly that the production was a problem. And I couldn't help but think that uh, to bring back up Alien 3, Rennie Harlan at one particular point was set to direct that movie and he walked away (laughs) knowing there was problems. And when Rennie Harlan walks away from your movie, you know it's a problem. Whoa, Rennie Harlan just walked up? That guy's got nothing going on. And he went and made Adventures of Ford Fairlane instead. Oh, come on. Ford, I remember didn't Ford Fairlane and Die Hard 2 with a Vengeance came out the same summer. So he had two freaking movies out in the same summer. Do you remember that? So yeah. he, he must have walked off Alien 3 like way early in the process, you know? 
<laughs> yeah. And I remember reading about Joss Whedon did a treatment for the script where it was like on a wooden spaceship or some shit like that. I read all this kind of crazy stuff about it. It was I think it was like a wooden planet, I believe. <laughs> a wooden planet. A wooden planet with monks. But uh, hey, um, um, oh shit! What's the Elysium guy's name, guys? Uh, Neil Blomkamp. Yeah, Neil Blomkamp. Hopefully, he does an awesome alien film, which I think he will. At least it'll bring some fun back into it, right? <laughs> when they announced that Ridley Scott will be doing a new Prometheus soon, I was like, "Who cares?" <laughs> It's like, I'll wait and see what happens there, but I'm not excited about it. Where do you stand on Prometheus, Adam? I just want to bring that up. It, it's, I mean, it, it's a movie that I find fascinating, despite the fact that it has a second half that just kind of shits the bed. <laughs> <laughs> it was very interesting to a point, and it literally is like, wait, 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 what's going on now? Wait, yeah. the, the old it man ha- was on It the has ship like this time? hard science fiction tail at the first half and then it's like well this is sort of involved with the alien franchise so let's get a monster in there but we gotta make we gotta start having characters do stupid shit for no reason just so they can be alien fodder well you know that part where the creatures outside it was like a zombie almost attacking them out of nowhere it's literally like wait what is going on what just happened and it's like the movie just like you said shits the bed open the door and let this in yeah yeah Yeah. it doesn't make any sense that part of the movie i'm still confused about you you remember the uh well i I think quentin tarantino will call it the space cobra like (laughs) the alien cobra that the the biologist character just treats it like it's a freaking dog the 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 biologist and the geologist guy the guy with the weird mohawk Uh they act stupid for no particular reason they just they they reach the 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 room where the creators are at and then the geologist freaks out and says i don't want to have anything to do with this man look i study rocks that's my thing and he just walks out and takes the biologist with him because the biologist wants to be his friend so much and then they get lost they can't even make their way back to the ship it's yeah. it's so dumb that's uh, yeah i talk about that all the time like in zombie movies or whatever when just okay somebody's got to do something stupid it's the only way we're going to have anything bad happen yeah. you know yeah and and they could have avoided that I, I i also think that that's probably another another movie where too many cooks in the kitchen. No studio wanted something, and and I'm kind of hoping that with the second movie, maybe those kings can be ironed out because yeah. it did end on an interesting note. And I did love the Numi Rapace character. Yeah, uh, first of all, the film was gorgeous. It looked yeah. great in 3D, mm-hmm. but I just thought it kind of spun out of control. Yeah, it's flawed, but I mean, I mean, what can you say about a flawed movie that still make it still has things that you think about uh, later on? Like, I I kind of love the idea that the movie brought up this little notion, which is if we ever meet our creator and the creator wants to destroy us, is it obligated to tell us why, or is that irrelevant? I mean, the the movie was embracing some really cool sci-fi or and or philosophical ideas and right. the monster movie crap got in the way of it but uh i'm, I'm just kind of hoping that maybe ridley scott and his writers can you know come up with something just to, with a little bit more substance with 
uh, a greater, a better idea of what it wants to do and not fall into the, uh, the monster movie crap just so easily. Yeah. I just remember when we came out of the theater, remember we saw that with my dad and Laura and just standing there like, okay, how do you guys feel about that? And I was just like, I don't know. I kind of, kind of like when I saw Sucker Punch, I was like, uh, I feel like I got sucker punched. <laughs> so right. I don't know what to think. I have nothing to say about this film. I don't know. And yeah, Laura doesn't like to talk about movies after watching them. Yeah. So <laughs> nothing out of her. So uh, really, she's like that. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't like when we talk about movies. Oh, okay. Basically, we went to no we went to dinner afterwards, and started. She just kind of kind of wouldn't say much. Is is she like that no matter what the movie or if it's a movie that just doesn't work with her? She just. I remember when we were kids, like after we'd see a movie, my dad and I would talk in the car and she she would say, can we not talk about the movie? <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. So it's so, always been that way. <laughs> yeah. She's always been that way. So uh, I guess later on it's okay to talk about it, but just not right after. You got to let it all soak in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can understand that. Sometimes I. That's one thing I've noticed. Like, sometimes people, like, from. Your initial maybe going, man, that was awesome. Like, then you go me, in and you start thinking about it. It's like, it really wasn't all that awesome. When you're in the theater, you're sitting there, the credits are rolling, you're like on Facebook, like, this movie is absolutely badass, greatest movie ever made. And then five minutes you get to the car, you're like, well, it's okay. I don't know why I just that said that. That one scene was a kind of a hack job. I was and- a little pumped up earlier, five minutes ago, you know? Yeah. How soon do you uh, decide if you like the film or not? Something like, if it's a good film, like Mission Impossible, I know right away. But if it's something like um, Prometheus, you know, I I don't say that sucked right away i honestly just have to think about it for a bit and then you know i'll go over things in my head and think okay this is when the movie started to lose me and it's right around the time the zombie monkey guy outside started (laughs) attacking people and i didn't understand what the hell was going on i didn't even understand who that was you know (laughs) and then i realized oh that's who that was but and the movie kind of went off the rails at that point, and it lost me. Just like when Anthony Michael Hall dies in, <laughs> in Edward Scissorhands, the movie totally lost me. But that was, I think like I was a right jerk. Okay, let me ask you this. <laughs> movie that I've never appreciated, and sometimes it shocks people. Some people love this film. Some people think it's one of the best movies ever made. After I saw the film, I was like, eh, didn't like it, wasn't into it. And that movie is Fight Club. How do you feel about Fight Club, Adam? I, I enjoyed it uh, from the first time I've seen it, and uh, I think it still holds up. Because I had read the book that it was based on uh, okay. kind of around the time that the movie came out. And the book and the movie have both intersect and then they diverge from a lot in a lot of ways and the ending i i've i've often thought about it wondering if if they took like a uh like a i mean for for all that the movie gets away with and it gets away with a lot of crap i'm still trying to figure out how did Dave Fincher get 20th Century Fox to greenlight this project? And I, and I, rem- I know there, there's a there's a podcast episode that explains that somewhere. I think it's like Jeff Goldsmith's 
the Q&A podcast where uh, they talked about it. But for some weird reason, the, the, the way that – and I'm going to try to avoid spoilers here just in case there's some listeners that haven't seen it. The way that uh, Edward Norton takes care of the Brad, Kitt, Brad Pitt character at the very end seemed like a weird kind of – I don't know. I don't want to say cop out, but it seemed like a weird kind of uh, safe way to to end that problem. I I, I I can't seem to think of a of a different or a better better uh, alternative ending. But um, it just it just seemed to have like kind of like a slightly forced happy ending for the Edward Norton and the Hell in the Bottom Carter character. Right, and well, it the uh, shot at the it, very it's end. such an abrupt change of tone, despite the fact that you see a bunch of buildings explode and then you get a subliminal penis shot at the end. But uh, for the most part, uh, I, I I think it's it's actually a very good adaptation of a book that deals with some really complex complex themes about consumerism and masculinity and you know a lack of identity in the modern world where we don't know how to define ourselves anymore and what do we do with ourselves uh, when that happens i got gotcha. you but what what was what rubbed you what rubbed you off and has your stance in the movie changed since then i well i've only seen the film once i've never watched it again Oh, <laughs> I thought the film was trying too hard to shock me. And then the reveal at the end, I was just like, yeah, whatever. You know, I was just, you know, it's Anthony Michael Hall getting killed again. <laughs> All of it. It's like either you're on board or you're not. And I was off the train at that point. I'm out of here. What about you, Steven? I'm not buying what you I sell. Think I've like only seen it once myself. I think Steven uh, and I watched it together. Yeah. I don't know. And. You know, it was okay. I mean, I think I mean, it was great. The no. final shot in the movie, yes, I will agree. It was pretty fantastic where you're seeing the city in the background, you know? Yeah, it's all like uh, buildings for like the credit card companies just going up in smoke. And part of me kind of likes the idea of something like that happening. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. I don't know. It's part of, I don't know why I just rejected the movie outright. It was almost kind of like, have you seen Gone Girl? Yes. And the beginning of Gone Girl was irrit- it was annoying it, so. the living shit out of me, and I wasn't sure if I could sit through the whole thing. It's uh it was a little too on point and seemed proud of itself, but it wasn't until I realized that it was the diary entries were written this way on purpose. You know, I really had to get through halfway the film before I was like, but it was almost like, and I know I'm talking about David Fincher films here because I love Zodiac. I think that's, I friggin' love that film. Yeah. But I the, think it's his best, but there was something about the way it was, I don't know. It's like too clever. I don't know. But it rubbed me the wrong way. But uh, Gone Girl was rubbing me the wrong way from the very beginning. But it won me over eventually. But the very beginning of that film, I was just like, I don't know if I can take much more of this shit. You know, it was getting on my nerves. Heather and I were watching it together. And I was like, oh, I can't abandon Heather. It's like, yeah, you enjoy this piece of shit. I'm going to go in the other room. No, but I just sat sat there. But do you know what I mean? Like her voice and the way she was narrating everything. It was... It was that way for a reason, but I didn't realize that at the time. I just thought it was 
I was like, have you walked out on a movie ever? Have I walked on a film ever? Uh, I don't. And then it'll go to you two, Adam. As as a little kid, the only I was just made to walk on in films, but uh, not as an adult. I don't think um, Doctor Butcher, uh, which was I believe Cannibal Holocaust. Remember we talked about it mm-hmm. one time. And do you remember? I remember my mom making us get up and leave, and it was the film that I had to wait till I was older to watch. Neighbors. With John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. Remember that film? I remember her like, I can't take any more of this. Come on. Come on, kids. We're all going. And we had to leave in the middle of the movie because <laughs> she was just like had enough of this weird movie. And I remember me going, well, no, I just I'm kind of into this. I want to see what happens or whatever. And I had to wait till <laughs> later on on cable to finish Neighbors. And she totally could have stuck it out. Come on. Is the movie that bad? But I don't know. <laughs> what about you? Do you remember that, Adam? Your parents ever making you walk out? I don't think that I've ever walked out of a movie that I went to seeing at the, like the the theater or the cinema or wherever you want to call it. Now, it's happened quite. It's happened, you know, now and then, basically on home viewings. And the most recent example I can think of is The Counselor. This was the Ridley Scott movie that came out a few years ago that had a script written by Cormac McCarthy. I think Bill has spoke very highly of it. But And I just – I found the movie very cold, very indifferent, and halfway at the point, I just stopped it because – I, it just seems like the movie was just going to do its own thing and it didn't really try very hard to get me engaged with any of the characters or what they were doing and I couldn't feel sympathetic towards any of them and it just felt like you know this is just going to be another tale of good uh, like you know good people trying to commit a crime and get away with it and it goes completely wrong and People are just going to die, and the world will just keep on spinning. And what what's the big point? So uh, that that that's a recent that's a recent example of it. But uh, otherwise, I always stick with whatever movie I'm going to go to. I think the yeah. the only movie I wish I could have walked out on was probably um, probably The Babe. That was the John Goodman Babe Ruth movie. <laughs> okay. And I saw that it's like some piece of shit theater in, I think, Newport, Arkansas, back when they had a theater. And uh, it, it just – it was just so boring. But, I mean, we like John Goodman and, you know, we – my brother was a big baseball nut and uh, we just stuck it out. And uh, that's the only thing I can think of, but uh, there you have it. Yeah, I think – this day and age, we're pretty savvy where we know what movie we really want to see. Yeah. Um, the only thing I could think is a movie I wanted to leave because it was just uh, – I've talked about it a million times now. The Grey, the Liam Neeson film. Yeah. Wow. Was not because it's a bad film. It's because it was scaring the shit out of me. <laughs> where I was – every jump scare in that movie was – was affecting me where I felt like an idiot. I remember I was holding popcorn and I literally was like, Whoa! and popcorn kind of went everywhere. And I was like, Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. But I was just like, I kind of jokingly said to Heather, but I meant it. There was some truth. And I was like, I want to go home <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. the, the way the wolves would just go like out of nowhere and grab you by the throat. I was just like, 
this is in my wheelhouse of something I'm scared of, I guess, because I'm terrified and I want to go home. I don't want to sit in here and watch any more of this shit. That's the way it felt. And uh, if Heather would have been like, okay, let's go, I would have been like, all right, and I would have left. But she wanted to stick around and watch the movie, so I did too. But I was was literally like saying in my mind, F you, movie, F you. (laughs) (laughs) You're not going to get me, man. I would have, if I could have, walked out on Rain Man. Rain Man? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Definitely Rain Man. I I mean, 15 minutes in, I was ready. Was it just annoying the shit out of you? I don't know what it was. I just, it was not interesting in the slightest to me, but I was with my, uh, I was with my buddy Dave and his brother and we were up in Denton and I had no other ride and I was stuck and I was just like, ugh. I'll go wait out in the lobby, you know, <laughs> but I didn't. I stuck it out, but I would and have. you know what? You're glad you did because you love it now, right? Oh, no. <laughs> I still, I don't know why I can't stand it. Yeah, sometimes it's those it's things. It's one of like, those. Sometimes movies rub you the wrong way. Some, You know, we love a lot of movies, but sometimes just like, ugh. And for some reason... uh Fight Club, right? You know what I think a lot of it was? And I try not to be this way, but all we'd heard was, like, Fight Club is the movie of the decade. Yeah. And all that shit. So I was like, all right, movie, what? It oversold I didn't let the movie come to me at all. I sat down with a big, fat attitude. Had a big movie chip on your shoulder. Okay, blow me away, movie. Come on. (laughs) Oh, Radiohead? Or, wait, yeah, does Radiohead do the music, Adam? No, that's the Dust Brothers. Oh, the Dust Brothers. Oh, it's got a fancy soundtrack. Ooh. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Meatloaf's got boobs. Come on, movie. Oh, you're weird. You know, I had, like, completely attitude about it you know it's like oh, oh woo, you know just like oh yeah you anthony michael hall does he die in this film because i'm out of here if he does <laughs> <laughs> well i just i don't understand why you couldn't get sleeves easily made for edward scissorhands where he didn't have to cut his face all the time how how long would it take to put sheaths on those you know you could even like sh- uh, sharpen them down, or you know, like cut Dull them down them. where they were like hands. You know, of course, he needs his scissors so you could build attachments for it. But hey, you know, he could live a normal life. But no one thought of that in the movie. I don't know why. Just well, the maker out. did try to. He almost was able to put hands on him, and then he died. Yeah, he had a heart attack right when uh, I assume yeah. he had a heart attack. Right, and when his he- work was never finished. Damn it, no! But he's still up there carving the ice, and it makes the snow How on the sand. I don't know. Edward Scissorhands <laughs> makes me mad. <laughs> it's like, oh, this movie's pissing me off. Because all of a sudden, this goofy movie's trying to have some kind of moral to the story or some something. Be kind. It's it's like it's trying to be like a modern fairy tale of sorts. Yeah. yeah. And instead, it was just like, nah, you lost me. This, <laughs> never snowed in this town until this night. Do I need to make a list of movies where, like, eh, you lost me? <laughs> <laughs> There's not. I'm on board for a lot of films. There, I'm like, oh, okay. You want to do this? Like, okay, from dusk till dawn. I know some people, when the vampire stuff it was like, hey, I was really into this weird, like, criminal guy's hiding from the law, kidnapping family movie, and all of a sudden there's vampires? What the hell happened? This would have been a great movie, you know? But 
I think we already knew there was to be vampires when we saw it. Because, you know, Premiere Magazine, we'd already Just read till about it. dawn. Yeah, and the trailer didn't exactly hide it. Yeah, yeah. What? You, welcome to slavery. You know, they should sell my Hayek saying that in the trailer, but... What do you? Where do you guys stand on from Dust Till Dawn? Fun movie. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. Effects hold up. Yeah, for the most part. For what it is, yeah. <laughs> goofy. For what goofy. it is. What do you guys think? Robert Rodriguez's career has he disappointed? Pretty much, or he he showed some promise there for a bit, didn't he? I, I don't think he's made a a good movie since Planet Terror. <laughs> like uh, I, I, I don't get. I mean, Machete Machete's good for a while, but then after a while, it just kind of loses its its uh, novelty. And yeah. I didn't finish the sequel. Yeah, I saw that was on. Um, it's on uh, Netflix. I think the I sequel seen is. The sequel. There's one part in where I've seen on cable one time where he had. Uh, can't believe I said cable on HBO. Um, he sh- gets a guy in the face with a weed whacker. And yes. I thought that was kind of funny, but otherwise I didn't have the energy to sit through the whole thing. But or like he he rips a guy's intestines, throws it up into a re- rotating helicopter blade, and it sucks the guy up and into the blade. <laughs> and I was just thinking, oh god. I remember when El Mariachi came out and that story of how he donated his body to science or you know what i mean he was in that experiment drug, test. drug testing for enough money to make it and then he made our mariachi it was really exciting and i remember going to see that at the ridgely mm-hmm. um and the most exciting thing about it is you could tell robert rodriguez could edit he could was very creative editing so it was exciting when Desperado came out. I remember being super pumped about Desperado, and yeah. I still enjoy the film. When I watch it now, I see that it's got some problems. Uh, the ending is rather abrupt. Yep. <laughs> but it's got it's got it's almost like it has a lot of energy in the beginning, and then it fizzles out. Would you agree with that? I I, I would. I I think. Uh, El Mariachi had a better ending and it had a more poignant ending to it. Yeah. And Desperado seems like it's heading that way. And then it just pulls the, the Scooby-Doo mega happy ending out of nowhere. So, so yeah. Yeah, it really I, it fizzles out at the end. And I remember ta- seeing that and then going the next day and taking my dad to see it again to see what he thought. And he's like, that was an interesting uh, ending, like the way you thought it was going to be a big shootout, but then it just kind of, you know, did a little uh, crash to black and then cuts to later and he survives the shootout. I was like, yeah, that was lame. (laughs) What the hell was that? You know? Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, you've already had a bunch of dozen shootouts in the movie yeah. already, and maybe it would have, maybe it would have been overkill uh, if we you would have shown it, despite the fact that you know he was going to survive it anyway. Yeah, I awful. just think the execution of it uh, just just felt off. Yeah, just kind of like, oh, okay, and, uh, and oh, he's just going to walk into the sunset, and you know, I guess Salma Hayek isn't going to be involved with him, and then she turns up. Yeah, but the and, beginning uh, of the film with uh, Steve Buscemi doing uh, talking about the biggest Mexican he ever saw, and then Newton mm-hmm. walks, and that whole action sequence was 
awesome. I thought yes. the movie started fantastic. And then it has the opening credits with him doing being the El Mariachi and everything. Great. There's a lot of great things. And it was, our, I believe, our introduction to Danny Trejo in mm-hmm. Desperado. And he's uh, been in a million films since then. Yes. Uh, so the movie's got a lot going for it. But I was just thinking, um, what has Robert Rodriguez done anything since then? Like, the first Sin City film I did like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Disappointed by the second one, mainly because there was no humor. It seemed like the fun was gone. From The first movie had a lot of fun in it. Sure, mm-hmm. it was dark and bloody and violent, but it was fun, and you're laughing a lot. And then the second movie, there was like nothing. It's kind of like, just kind of like flat, you know? I think they also chose the better Sin City stories for that first film, too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not too big on A Dame to Kill. Yeah. So, uh, and I don't, and I haven't seen a, the second movie, so I, I, I can't speak to whatever other material I mean, it they, it they, tries to do. The, 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 the sequel of sorts to the Yellow Bastard storyline with, like, the ghost of Jim Hardigan uh, coming into, the, like, the Jessica Alba character, that just seems so contrived to me well, so yeah and the way it ends it's just kind of like okay i guess it's a movie let's go yeah, <laughs> yeah. movie's over let's yeah leave. we were both kind of just left uh, like uh, uh, kind of numb feeling yeah. same way we felt after prometheus <laughs> <laughs> i didn't get the whole prometheus vibe i don't know if this. i got that or I, not. yeah and laura didn't say anything <laughs> yeah laura what did you think of since laura <laughs> Oh, okay, bye. I don't want to talk about it. This will just set in a few days. <laughs> She'll text me. It was okay. <laughs> what was okay? The movie we saw two weeks ago? Oh, you okay. You remember you asked me after the movie? <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, you know what? I have two voicemails. Let me play these before I forget. All right? All right. It's so funny, all this stuff on the screen. <laughs> All right, the first one is a voicemail from Jim. Let's check it out. Hey, Jason. This is Jim from Florida. I'm just calling to leave some for, uh, feedback from for your entertainment daily. Uh, I, was, I was just listening to the newest episode, and I heard you guys talking about nostalgia and old video games and everything. And I got to tell you, years ago, my friends and I modded our original, my original Xbox put a mod chip in there, so I actually have all the original Nintendo games, Sega games, a couple of Atari games on there and everything, and I, I completely understand what you guys are talking about. I love, you know, I have an Xbox One, I had a 360, but there's nothing better than just sitting down on a, you know, Friday night, late at night, and just kind of playing some Donkey Kong or the original Mario Brothers, stuff like that, so, but, uh, I haven't finished the episode completely yet. I'm driving into work right now, but I uh, just wanted to call and leave your quick voicemail. So I will talk to you guys later and keep up the good work. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Jim. Gotta love video games. <laughs> Gotta love emulation. Yeah, I remember always hearing about modded Xbox and going, Mod, man, that sounds cool. But I didn't have an Xbox. Remember that early Xbox, and Adam? If you had it, you weren't yes. going to break it open and mod it. <laughs> I, never, I never owned one, but I had two friends that did, and we spent a good portion of college playing Halo uh, LAN party matches. Nice. You know, and you could never do that now, you know, like... Uh, copy games or anything because everything's connected to the internet and they would know immediately if something's pirated and pretty much ban you 
Yeah. Um, uh, I, he, and what Jim was talking about made me think. Uh, also, during college, uh, one of my friends hooked me up with a disc for the Sega Dreamcast that had all, every NES game on it. And this included, you know, Japanese stuff as well. So, uh, <laughs> it, and that's always fun to boot up every now and then along with all my other Dreamcast games. Nice. You know what I'm excited about now uh, is uh, the Mad Max games coming out oh, September, yeah. September 1st, I believe. And I don't Star Wars know. Battlefront. I've like I've always wanted to be Mad Max in a video <laughs> game. I just it's going to be hard to resist that one. I don't think I can. I'm going to have to pick that sucker up. And I'm going <laughs> to definitely get in on the PS4 cuz I need to actually I don't physically own a PS4 game. It's I only have the digital downloads of PS4 <laughs> games. So I'm going to see if the disc actually plays in the system. I don't know. Now we it have should. A- yeah, yeah. Uh, now, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, now we have another voicemail. This one from Swiley, a rare Swiley voicemail. This is awesome. Let's check this out. Hey, guys, it's Swiley. First of all, I wanted to congratulate you on 10 years of podcasting. That's really incredible. Um, I want to thank you for putting out incredibly entertaining and hilarious shows. Um, I also want to thank you all for being awesome friends. It's been really cool getting to know you through Facebook and listening to the show. Um, I'm sorry that I haven't been able to uh, do the full reviews that I used to do on the various forums and um, that that blog that I had um, due to the nature of my job and other things in life. It just has made it kind of impossible to, to do them, but I do want to... Uh, catch up with the show. I'm I'm listening to the most recent episodes, and I wanted to leave some feedback today. Um, being that it's August and it's the 10th anniversary, uh, I wanted to say that I found the recent discussions of um, the adventures in uh, MJ Designs always really entertaining, <laughs> as well as the uh, the talk about the movie that Stephen was a part of. Um, falling hard. Um, those are always really cool. And one of the episodes recently had to do with art. I think uh, Stephen bought bought some um, some artwork, and I wanted to recommend a documentary. It's called uh, Tim's Vermeer, and yes. it's done by Penn and Teller. And it's about this guy named Tim. I don't remember his last name. He's like a technology guy, um, visual arts. He, he started a technology company, so he's really rich. He, I think they do like special effects for TV and commercials and stuff. And the movie is about his obsession with um, the painting technique, techniques of the Dutch masters, such as Vermeer, who painted a girl with a pearl earring and, and various other famous uh, paintings in the, I think, 15th century. And what he tries to do is there's this theory that that art was revolutionized, painting was revolutionized, uh, revolutionized around the Renaissance, um, in part assisted by technology uh, known as, a technology known as the camera obscura, mm-hmm. which... Well, anyway, you should watch the movie, and it shows you what it is. And what he tries to do is, is build technologies that would have been available at the time and reproduce 
the painting, uh, the paintings, or in particular one painting, with the same level of accuracy, um, the, the, the vividness, lifelike quality that Vermeer did. And it's, I found it really watchable, really enjoyable, uh, funny at times. And um, I think that the results might really surprise you. So that's my recommendation. Keep on with the show. I love it. I'll keep on patronizing you every month. And uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks, All right. Riley. Thank you so much. Yay. Yeah, I, I've heard of this movie. It's um, good. Um, yeah, I guess I've just lost track of it because there's so much stuff. But I guess I, I yeah. checked. It's not on Netflix. I guess we'll have to do video on demand or something. I'll see if it's Yeah. On, I, I wonder if it's on Prime on Amazon. It, it could be. I had to get it from Netflix's disc library. Since I'm a Prime member, maybe I can see it. But it's an excellent documentary. Cool. I'd love to check that out. Yeah, I I believe I looked up looked it up and uh, I I just I, like again I kind of lost track of it over time. But uh, yeah, that was sounded really interesting. And I'm yeah familiar with Camera Obscura. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, the 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 main the main person is his name is uh, Tim Jennison. And he basically duplicates like the, the there's one particular Vermeer painting, I think it's called the piano lesson or the music lesson, and his case for how it's pulled off and how he eventually goes about doing it I, I think he makes a really good case as to how uh, how uh Johann uh, Vermeer actually did his paintings. It's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating look at the creative process, and uh, and uh, I would highly recommend it. That's cool. I'd love to see that. I've, uh, I've been in a documentary mood this week, so that'd be cool. <laughs> and also, uh, I wanted to mention that uh, while we miss, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this. While we do miss uh, Stephen's uh, recaps. Of the of your uh, podcast, we do understand that it's a major undertaking each time. So uh, no uh, no hard feelings there. I oh, mean, yeah, Ross right. and Adam it's tried it. to do a podcast about it, and look how that turned out. I know I do miss it desperately. I, I loved uh, Swiley's feedback so much, like because. You know, as I said, as you do was an a, undertaking, what he did a podcast too. from week to week. Sometimes you need that little shove to keep doing it because, you know, you put out an episode, nobody says anything, and you're like, yeah, nobody's going to care <laughs> if I don't do one. So, right. But then if somebody says something like, uh, "Hey, well, it's kind of like you know the Chuck podcast," I was having a hard time getting back into it until somebody said. Hey, I just started listening to all your episodes. I'm caught up. Are you going to do a new one? And I was like, well, that person's waiting for one. I might as well. You know, and it and it got me doing two in a row. And then it sucked. I got sick this week where I just wasn't filling up to it. Because it would have been I, like, hey, I everybody. did finish your recap of Chug versus the X, and I really enjoyed it. Um, oh, cool. That was an episode. Uh, the way, the various ways that Chuck humiliates himself uh-huh. are kind of hard to watch to my memory. But that uh, that that episode overall is uh, very is very good. Yeah, I just love that. Hello, it's twelve <laughs> fifty. <1250. laughs> I love that. 
Yeah, it's great. And it's funny because on my blog post, basically all I'm doing is just gushing about, oh, I love this and I love this and I love this. And, you know, you're not going to see me. I'm going to deconstruct the plot. You know, that's not what I'm doing at all. All I'm doing is just like, yeah, it's a love fest. This is why I love this. And I don't know if anybody will find it interesting, but that's basically what it is. And uh, you know what's funny is... This is kind of crazy off subject, but I was talking to my dad about music and how, like, I can play music in the background while I do things Mm -hmm. or whatever. And my dad has never been able to do that. When he plays music, he sits down and he concentrates on it and he listens to it. It's like putting on a movie. I can do it both ways. Right. So he, but he can't. He can't just play it and then wash. Uh, something or I, do the I, laundry I'm um, crazy on the plane I'll read my book with my headphones on playing music mm-hmm. I mean you know yeah, lyrics like, and singing and I can and mm. I even like some writers will say they don't have anything like I'll play music when I want to evoke a certain mood as yeah. I'm writing or something but I was like that's weird dad uh, you know I couldn't really identify but I could like I can put on TV shows on Netflix and let it play in the background while I'm doing something and not pay attention. But with Chuck, though, I can't do that. And I'm just like my dad where I sit and I watch every moment of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though I've seen the episodes multiple times, I can't just like I'm going to put on season one and just let it play in the background. I can't. I just sit and I rewatch the whole thing full attention. Kind of what I do with Red Dwarf. If I'm watching it, yeah, it's, it's got not, my attention. There's no casual viewing of it at all. I don't do it. But I could put on some other series like that I've seen a million times. I could put Fringe on like that. I could put Lost episodes on, Battlestar Galactica, whatever, and just have it playing in the background while I'm on the computer and barely paying attention or whatever and just kind of look over my shoulder. But... That show's got my full attention. And uh, I don't know if it's the same thing as my dad with music, but it's just something about it that I have to pay attention to every moment of it. <laughs> now, what yeah, kind I, of music? Like soundtracks where, you know, mm-hmm. like orchestrations or something? Or is it just music, period? You know what I'm saying? If he doesn't listen to music casually at all, just any music. He sits down and listens to it. Okay. Pays attention to. So I mean, like on the radio, driving to work. You know, if he's if he likes, say, the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. You know, would he sit down and just put on a Rolling Stone album and just and listen yeah. to it solidly? Yeah, he's listening to all the instruments in the background or whatever. Okay. He's meticulous. He sounds like he's made it exhausting to me. But so, <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think, Adam? Well, do do you guys uh, the music that you listen to when you write? Uh, does it, it? I mean, Stephen was talking about s- stuff like uh, uh, or like classical music or soundtrack music, like film scores. Uh, does can you can you write anything involving like vocals or people singing lyrics? No, I, I, I read and it, there well while there's lyrics. I can't. Wow, I can't do that. I, I, uh, yeah, I have to. Like, I have to listen to classical music when I read. Say it's like um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a huge U2 fan. Obviously, You've, you know, yeah, and I know all their songs, so I can put it on and I kind of tune it out. I hear it. I'm on a plane, 
So, I mean, there's either airplane noise or that <laughs> going on. Mm-hmm. And I'd much rather have that going on. I kind of turn the volume down enough, but I, I hear it and I can sit there and read. And then there'll be bits. There'll be bits where I stop reading and I'll sit there and I'll just close my eyes and I'll sing along with it in my head. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get over that part and I'm like, okay, and I'll go back to reading. Yeah, I but can't do dial. <laughs> I can't do lyrics while I'm reading. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I uh, I've got like a film score playlist on Spotify that I usually turn on whenever I'm like compiling notes for like a podcast episode or whether I'm just typing up a blog. But uh, it usually has to be like a film score or classical music. I, I get distracted by vocals. It, it probably Yet, had- I just thought of an example in Armada. There was times where he'd mention a song and I put it on while I was reading and I could do that. Like the part where like in the song, one vision by queen played and I was like, okay. And I look for that. And so I'm reading the sequence as I'm listening to one vision, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. I could do it in that case, I guess, but I don't make a habit out of it. You know? Yeah. I, I, my habit is only on a plane when I feel like reading. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, if I'm in my hotel room, and I'm reading, I don't put my headphones on and listen to music. Adam, you know that song One Vision by Queen? Yes. Are you familiar with it? Yes. Do they say fried chicken at the end? <laughs> fried chicken. Oh, 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 I don't think so. <laughs> I think they do. They say fried chicken. Come on. Is this like a bathroom on the right kind of scenario? <laughs> Uh, soup and salad bar in excess. Yeah. Excuse me while I kiss this guy. Yeah. my wh- Who sang that one song? I always thought that every time you go away, yeah. you take Richard, a piece of meat yeah. with you. <laughs> it's like, why, why do you take meat with you? <laughs> Adam, I want to thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank Boy. you very much for inviting me, and I'm, uh, I apologize for the delay uh, getting home. took longer than I thought, and then got home and had problems with Skype, had to update it, and had to change my password. And I, haven't, I don't think I've used Skype since, my last, since the last episode I did with uh, Adam Howard on my podcast. So I've, I kind of had like the feeling like, oh, man, I'm going to have to – update that stupid thing just as soon as i turn on the computer so <laughs> but so i pr- i apologize for that but i do th- uh thank you for uh making time for me and no problem, uh man. and uh i do uh w- want to thank you for you know um you know creating the shows that you do like this this show and the the chug podcast i want you to keep it up Thank i you. know that i usually send you feedback through like facebook messaging regarding uh chuck but as soon the closer and closer we get to chuck versus santa claus you're going to get a very passionate voicemail from me i promise you <laughs> all right i can't wait yeah. It's so funny but, as I'm looking ahead to the episodes I'm going to cover. I'm like, oh, man, I love that episode. I'm like getting excited, you know, because yeah. uh, the Chuck versus Tom Sawyer. I don't know if you could tell, but I like love that episode. And I was just like, I don't know. I may sound I may sound exactly the same on each episode. I don't know. But that one was really special to me. I just love that episode a lot. 
Yeah. It's it's a very good episode, and I'm I'm also kind of wondering, do, is it your opinion at the end that uh, Jeff gets the kill screen on Missile Command? Yes, I do believe that he does it for himself at the end. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether whether or not whether or not I agree. I think he just plays for the enjoyment. Yeah, I I kind of like to think that. He did get it for himself, but he doesn't care about being at the top anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. So many tasty options. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I've wondered that. It's possible. Yeah. I don't think I wondered that the first time I saw it, but the most recent viewing, I was like, yeah, I think he does. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, that that's that's like the Santa Claus episode for me that, that, that episode basically to me is like the best is a better Die Hard movie than any of the actual sequels for the Die Hard franchise I think what it was is if you think that was like episode what five of uh, Chuck season two where I knew I liked the show up until that point but when that episode first aired and I saw it I was like Dude, I love this show. That's when mm-hmm. I knew, man, I love this show. That was like when it won me over, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, just keep up the good work uh and keep on uh you've got to reach episode 91 uh eventually. <laughs> so uh keep yep. keep it up. Keep it up, buddy. Yeah, that's what's funny is Ross, he, you know, he was like uh Jason, I only have 11 episodes to go. I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm done. I was like, uh, we'll have a Chuck conversation. Talk to me about it. (laughs) Tell me when you're done. And then he was like, I finished. I'm a mess right now. I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Oh, man. Being able to talk talk about it with you after I finished the the series was... well, I mean, it's it's still basically kind of ongoing. Uh, I mean, we still we still bring it up from time to time uh, on Facebook, but it's it's just such a it's such a it's a better show than a lot of people give it credit for. Just you know, smarter and really and funnier and 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 more more uh, moving than than a lot, than a lot of people would ever. Uh, give it credit for or consider it to be. Yeah. So uh, there's a very good reason that it, it appeals to uh, like you or me or whoever else. And I told you like the, I worked with like four or five uh, teenagers uh, doing summer work at the school where I work. And I got two of them hooked on the show because me and another guy would just constantly talk about it. And uh, they were curious, and they both have Netflix. So now one of them, and I told you, one of them spent like an entire weekend burning through like the first two seasons. And uh, and uh, it, it's just the show that just keeps on giving, and it's it's going to have a long life uh, uh, right after you know its initial TV run. So yeah, so yeah, that's why I love that it's on Netflix where new people can discover it. Yeah, and 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 that's the format that it survived. It, it it hasn't. I don't know. I mean, has it ever fallen into syndication anywhere, or is no, it just no. just went straight to Netflix? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and that was the thing. Like nine more episodes, and it would have hit one hundred episodes, but it stopped at ninety one, and that just drove me nuts. I was like, <laughs> all they had to do is give that final season. Uh, 22 episodes and it would have hit 100 
But, you know, when it was like they announced 13, part of me in the back of my head, I was like, oh, they're going to do what they call a back nine order where like halfway through it, then they're going to say, okay, we're going to give you the back order of 22 episodes. Because that had happened before, but it didn't happen. It was like, oh, this is the end. Like, oh, no. (laughs) And I almost kind of like the way the series ends. What did if what what if there was an episode after that? That's what I think about. Like they could have kept going. They, you know, I just the uh, movie can always happen, sir. Yeah, I think that too. And I almost think about closure. Did I get closure? And I don't think I did. And I think that's why I can't let it go. Like there's so many shows that give you closure, whether you like it or not. Battlestar Galactica, Lost, even Fringe gave us closure. When Fringe ended, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm satisfied. Yeah. But the way Chuck ended, while I I didn't mind and I appreciated it, and uh, it was of course sad. Uh, I couldn't move on. Instead, I was like, I just got to start it over and rewatch it, <laughs> you know, and uh, I can't seem to move on. So I, part of part of the reason I'm doing the podcast is to figure out why. But also on my, uh, you know, when I first rewatched Chuck after it ended, I'd only seen it when it aired. I hadn't like seen it on repeats or even on DVD. So when I rewatched it on Blu-ray, I was like, I want to see, is there a, like a Chuck podcast I can listen to? I want to hear other people talk about this, but I couldn't find anything. I found like one podcast, but they more like talked about, you know, like guest stars and what the ratings were that week. It wasn't really what I was looking for. So I kept thinking, God, I wish there was like a podcast I could listen to where I I they shared. Who did a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's when I was like, maybe I should do one. <laughs> and it took a lot of like, it, I had to really talk myself into it because I was like, I'm really putting myself out there. I really come off like a real dork. And so, I was, thank you for your. Think of yourself as Thanos at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron where he just says, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what I felt. And when that person on Twitter said, hey, I just started rewatching the show because I'm listening to your podcast in the same order. I was like, well, damn, I got to keep going, you know, because that's exactly why I made it for somebody who's watching it on Netflix. And they're like. I want to see if there's a podcast, and if they find mine, that's like who I want to listen. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I've often uh, considered the idea of buying the the series through like either DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, mm-hmm. Are the are the se- are the season collections generally good, like supplemental material wise? I mean, oh yeah, do- yeah, they've got extras. They've got like webisodes that aired or that were on you know NBC. Dot com. Yeah. But also they have deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of right. deleted scenes. Yeah. Um, some of the scenes, it's almost like the scene kept going. Like the scene that was in the show had a few more lines. Like it just kept going a little bit longer. An extended scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah it doesn't really mean. for, yeah, It didn't really mean or... that much or whatever. Um, I, I always wish there was more commentaries. There's one commentary on season four. And then there's a commentary for the f- two final episodes of Chuck. 
Right. Which are fantastic. I'm sitting there. I will listen to those and just be laughing or smiling the whole time listening to them talk about it. It's it's with uh, Zachary Levi. It's with Joshua Gomez, Chris Fedak, and Josh Schwartz. So it's four guys just talking about it or whatever. But on season four... There's a Josh Gomez, Zachary Levi commentary, which is a lot of fun. Uh, it's just those two guys talking during the episode. And it's just like a random episode. I think it's the first uh, Volkov episode. Okay. And, and um, it's a lot of fun just hearing them talk about like, oh, yeah, when we filmed this, we were on this street in Burbank or whatever. And, you know, they just talk about things. And it's a lot of fun. So there are occasional extras that are neat. But, but you know me, I just had to own it. Like I need to see it up there on the shelf and own it. <laughs> you know, that's the way I felt. And um, it's so funny when I first rewatch. I know I just keep talking on and on. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, when I first was rewatching it on Blu-ray, you know, a lot of time had passed since that first and second yeah. season. Like I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like I forgot all about this and. Mm-hmm. It was like watching it uh, the first time again in a lot of ways. and um, Yeah, I think I lost track of it because I didn't have a DVR when it first came out, I don't believe. Yeah, yeah. And so I just forgot about it but, you know, when it came on, mm-hmm. especially out of town, not remembering. It's like, okay, what channel was that on? I remember watching... Like I almost need to make an Excel spreadsheet for TV shows. I remember <laughs> watching the season finale to season two with Heather on the couch and she hadn't been watching it. And, you know, um, when the, you know what happens at the end of season two, right, Adam? Yes. I don't think Steven's gotten there yet, no. but I remember being going like, holy shit, that was awesome. Oh my God. If there's not a season three, I'm going to be so pissed. And then <laughs> like, I was like going nuts. Like, God, if there's not a season three, I'm going to be so mad. And like, uh, I don't remember how long it took, uh, but I was waiting that summer, and finally it was like Chuck renewed. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" I was like, <laughs> I was so worried it was going to get canceled. And they did that whole Subway sandwich thing and all that stuff. Yeah, uh, I loved when you pointed that out to me because I've always wondered why. Why is there? prominent product placement for (laughs) subway in this show and you said well it's for a perfect good good reason because they basically helped rescue the show yeah (laughs) i love that yeah basically i could talk about chuck all night so (laughs) yeah but but anyway uh keep up keep up you know you know the productivity on both these uh both these podcasts because you do such a great job on them you and bill and uh steven i also love what they contribute every week and uh, I do thank you, uh, Jason, for the feedback you sent me for uh, passing the pending. Uh, I really yeah, did enjoy great. this pre- this recent episode I put out, and I'm still hoping to maybe put out another solo one. I, I've got a request uh, from the guy I did a my first uh, guest episode with, Joe Step, and he said he he said he'd want to come back and do one. I'm still having trouble trying to get Ross uh, scheduled, but that, that, he's a busy man. So, um, so uh, I'll, I'll still I'll still keep hoping for that to happen. But uh, awesome. I, I do appreciate any any feedback I've got from that, and uh, uh, that it's that it seems like a uh, nostalgia trip for you. Uh, that yeah. that really did put a smile on my face. Yeah, it was great. It's time traveling with your memories. I loved it. 
Yeah. I, I think I need to pretty soon uh, verge off into topics like video games or TV and not make it so movie heavy because I, that's not all I'm wanting to talk about. But uh, but those are the things I had on my mind firsthand. So uh, I'm, I'll, I'll definitely keep working on it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you, you keep uh, working on your uh, shows as well, and I'll keep listening and I'll keep reading. Thank you. And, Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And uh, I guess that's it. So what are you guys waiting for? Get out there and watch some TV, some movies, play some games, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. It's time to end this. No, Pip. It's clobbering time. Now this is podcasting.